You're listening to episode 212 of The Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Uh, you guys cool? Yeah, I'm cool. Yeah, uh... Rarely. <laughs> Uh, I need to lay low for a little bit. I'm in big trouble. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, why? Is that why you're wearing a jacket over your hoodie in the house? Uh, so listen, um... <laughs> He's ready to run. Need to be on the move. I'm sure you guys have noticed, but, uh, Marco isn't here right now. Uh, after reading our, you know, Ten of Swords issues this week, I had a really good idea, and I decided to graft a metal skeleton to Marco... Real oh, life, God. that doesn't work very well, and it's considered murder. <laughs> I need. So you just have a really heavy body you have to get rid of now. Is what you're telling <laughs> yeah, us. yeah, that's very true. Um, I, I hurt my back, so I can't. I can't no, that's help. fine. I need to lay low. Uh, all right. He, so what are you doing here? You know, I figured I'd only bring up on the show. It's only proper. Basically, what you're telling us is you killed Mark. Confessed to murder on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I kind of think of the content too, baby. The, li- oh, the listeners are cool. That's, They're yeah. not going to call the cops. You gotta, <laughs> yeah. You gotta yeah. Get that ad Everyone revenue. Listening. You guys cool? Kale's right. Uh, yeah. I mean, if it helps. All right, sick, sick, sick. Okay, so hopefully this a helps with ratings, but also hopefully everyone listening is cool too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it'll be good because I think no matter what, we win, right? Because if next week you're in prison, we do a Marco's Dead fills in prison episode. If you don't go to prison, we do a Marco's Dead rest in peace episode. You know, it's funny. If you would have told me back at episode one of the Comics Pals that, you know, eventually we would do a Marco's Dead fills in prison episode, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that does I mean, make sense. Yeah. I think the odds are at least decent that one of those things will happen throughout the course of us recording this podcast. <laughs> that either Marco dies or Phil ends up Honestly, in prison. Yeah. I, think, I think if you would have told me that, I would have believed it was the opposite, that I was dead and Marco was the one in prison. <laughs> I, I could see Marco, well, okay, so you murdering him aside, uh, which obviously didn't happen. I could see yeah. Marco getting himself into the kind of situation where he ends up dead. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, especially early comics, pals, Marco. Yeah, yeah. You know what I think? Yeah. I think the problem with Marco is he goes into situations with like way too much confidence. Yeah, you know? like that's the yeah. thing is I could see him ending up in a scenario where he's like, they're not going to shoot me in the back of the head, and then dead. <laughs> so wait, how do you yeah. wind up dead? Oh, well, he read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. He's like, I can do that. Oh shit! Somebody, <laughs> uh, somebody in the Discord is not cool. Kefis oh, no. says, "Who shot who in the what now?" No! <laughs> that's hilarious that that came in it, at this point. Uh, that's 100%. You can't yeah. put it on the Discord, man. There's a paper trail there. <laughs> you guys you guys ever watch uh, South Park? Obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I feel like Marco's our Kenny. Oh, 1,000%. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Kale's our, I could see. our uh, Randy. Because he's, huh? I was gonna say kills the grandpa because he's incontinent, but <laughs> I'm in a continent. That's debatable. I don't know what that means. Um, welcome to the show. We made it. <laughs> we did. We did make it. Did we? Uh, well, Spe- you know. speaking of that, can I tell a quick story? <laughs> just, just a okay. quick one. Um, just a quick one. Yeah. yeah. So I was in the shower. 
Uh, and <laughs> great. <laughs> I was thinking legitimately. I was thinking about how great my life is, and thinking about how cool. Uh, I get it revolves around comics, right? That's cool. Went to school for comics. Married my wife because of comics. I, a, I do a cool podcast with my cool comic book friends. I'm in the comic book field. I, man, my life is really cool. I stepped out of the shower and slipped and almost died. <laughs> <laughs> Good timing. So, for, right. so frankly, Did- this could all be a end of life hallucination. <laughs> <laughs> I have, a, I, have a, I have a question. Um, first of all, that's a very old person way to, like, that's a very old person thing to happen to. Uh-huh. That's number one. Uh-huh. Number two, did you need life alert? <laughs> I didn't break a hip. I was able to climb up. I was next to the sink, so I was able to climb up. Did you still call life alert anyway? I probably do now. I, yeah. 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 <laughs> You yeah, need to get one of those that. low shower things, man, so you don't have to lift your legs so high. Yeah. We can't, you know, we can't have you taking a fall like that. I don't know if you guys know this story about how Kale met Jess, but it's really funny. He fell down. He said to her, I've fallen and I can't get up. And she's like, <laughs> oh, man. I was like, it hurts. I fell. She was I, like, from heaven? I really? No. <laughs> from the shower. <laughs> I, I love the idea God, that... If That's Kale were to die, that like the the fever dream, the purgatory, whatever, whatever that in between moments between now and the afterlife would just be him experiencing this podcast from the grave. It wouldn't. It definitely wouldn't be rest. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you want to help get Kale some life alert. Uh, you should definitely the, the best way you can do that right now is by uh, going and finding us all over the internet you know running up our numbers uh, and you can do so of course by hitting us up on your favorite podcast hosting platform we do have an announcement to make we are actually moving migrating over from SoundCloud to Podbean which is pretty cool how that affects you guys, I don't know. Uh, I don't really think it does. It's more for us than you, quite frankly. Really? The, the only way it should affect you is if you listen to the show on SoundCloud natively. I think you still will be able to. Not really sure. Uh, but don't worry. Because we'll be on Podbean. We're still on Apple Podcasts. We're everywhere you get your podcasts. So go check that out. Leave us a rating while you're there. It helps us out a lot. We really appreciate it. If you want to chat with us, you can do so there. But you can also uh-huh. write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Or you can get us on social media at thecomicspals. And, of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, this will be the last time that you'll see me with this beard. Because <laughs> it's killing me. No. Um, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. Otherwise... If you aren't on YouTube, you can head over to YouTube.com slash The Comics Pals. While you're there, make sure to leave us a like, drop us a comment, share this video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. All of those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you, and we'll really appreciate it. Want to make mention of some cool stuff. We've got uh, book clubs galore. Of course, if you enjoy listening to us talk comics, book clubs are where we do that in its yes, raw form. We pick a book each month, or you do, and we each read it and come 
with our takes on that title. Uh, this month, we're actually dropping Kingdom Come. Ah, oh, hell so yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I would say that's a pretty popular story, popular run. Um, and I'm sure that you guys will enjoy our conversation around it. Short of that, we've also got Sandman. We've got Swamp Thing. Uh, we've done a lot of classics lately. So uh, come give those a listen. Uh, and that's the uh, that's the spiel. So if you like us, go check those things out. Pete, you looked really now. disturbed just a second ago. You want to speak to that just a second? Uh-oh. I just – sometimes Sean just hits you with, with – with real big information in like this very drive-by sort of way. And it's just like, I'm just shaving my beard. And I'm just like, you know, I want to talk about that a little bit. Are you just getting rid of it entirely? Are you going back to the bare face or are you just getting a trim? No, I'm just going to get a trim, dude. Okay. All right. I, I try. It didn't look this thick last week. I know, man. It just happens to me. I I don't know. Not, I'm not in control. Um, I don't think you guys have ever seen me barefaced. Um, when we first met, I don't think you had a beard, but it was like shortly after I think we first started talking. Like you started, like you might have had some yeah. facial hair, but it wasn't the full full beard that oh, I've yeah, come right. to know. Yeah, I, I, I haven't had no facial it's hair since like 2011. Him, I'm not allowed to do that. Um, so <laughs> I get yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys want to hear a funny story? Of course. Yeah, why is Pete wearing uh, eyeliner? So I was going to say that, but I didn't think it was appropriate. That's that's the funny story I want to hear. <laughs> but I'm I'm happy to share it, sure. So, uh as as I've mentioned in the plugs before, uh I have a band. We did a Kickstarter recently and we did a video last night that I wanted to have smoky eyes for. And I thought I washed it all off and didn't realize until I was turning the camera on for the show that I had eyeliner on. And I was like, hey, this will be funny or no one will notice. So see what happens. Girl, last night's mascara is tonight's smoky eye. Exactly. Look at me, man. I'm Boy. glowing. Yeah, you're <laughs> looking for 16 years ago. Right now. <laughs> I'm just going to let it fly. <laughs> Kale, I'm glad that, uh, yeah, right. that uh, you went there. I mean, with uh, the with the blonde hair and uh, this, I, I look like fucking Billy Idol or gotta, something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Billy Joel Armstrong thing going on. <laughs> Billy Joel. Yeah, yeah. I wonder who's gonna be the thumbnail for the YouTube video this week. <laughs> it's a nice day for a white wedding, boys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that's probably gonna top my funny story, but I'll tell it anyways because why not? All right. So. If you could dream of two creators in comics, well, one of them, I guess, is not technically a creator, but two people employed in comics to have beef on Twitter, who would they be? They don't work at, they don't, one works at Marvel, one works at DC. I'll give you that hint. And we're, we're dreaming about this or is this a hypothetical situation? It's a, it's real. It's happening. Yeah, oh, we're I trying see. to guess who oh, they are. Okay, uh, all right. I thought we were talking about Sean's dream. Right. Okay. So, what's your dream Twitter <laughs> beef? <laughs> God. That's a question. That's another Gail question. Gail Simone and Rob Liefeld. Ooh, <laughs> that would be good. So now we know that those aren't the two people that this <laughs> yeah, actually right. happened with. <laughs> well, Rob Liefeld doesn't work for Marvel or DC. Yeah. Well, historically, you would think Alan Moore and Grant Morrison. 
or as recent as 10 that's, that's years old ago, school, you, yeah. you would think Jeff Johns and Brian Michael Bendis. Oh, interesting. I think I would definitely rather see it be Grant and Alan Moore for what it's worth. So currently, <laughs> who could it, who would it be? Uh, Don't spend so much time on this. Rosenberg. Okay. It's all for fun. Rosenberg and who works for DC? Tinian. <laughs> That'd be funny, but no. Because they're two super nice guys. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say Chip Zdarsky, because that would Ooh, be really good. Good one, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, who's good at DC? Who'd be a funny guy at DC? To It'd be with? Chip Zdarsky and Matt Fraction, but it's a fake beef. Oh, that would be pretty good. I'd like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think yeah. that's the answer. Yeah, I'm in. All right, well. The answer is probably way less interesting than that, although I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, Tom Brevoort versus Tom King. Oh, man. Only, there can only be one Tom. Battle of the Toms. A, a tale of two Toms. <laughs> I can see, yeah, this would be very boring, but very interesting at the same time. I can definitely see that. So, Sean, the question is, who who are you cheering for with your Tom Toms? Uh, you know what? I don't want to answer that. Okay. <laughs> I just want to get a bad pawn, pawn joke in. No, actually, I, I'm I'm with Tom B. Okay. I'm going with Tom B. I'm going to tell you why. Okay. So I'm going to break it down. So here's the story. We know that a whole bunch of DC people were recently let go of their jobs. They were fired. Um, we're going to talk about that later in the news. That's a big deal this week. And it's not something that we think is funny or whatever. Uh-huh. But this is something that came out of that, okay? So, Mark Doyle was uh, one of the people who was uh, let go. Um, and Doyle is, is, is out of, of DC. Um, now, he is an editor from DC Comics. He edited, he was a, t- a top tier editor. Uh, lots of Batman stuff, you thought, know, yeah. lots of stuff that you've read. Yeah, exactly. He's, he, his name is one that you've probably seen on a book, even if you didn't necessarily know who he is or what he looks like. Mm. So, <clears throat> when the announcement was made, um, <clears throat> Tom King uh, jumped over to Twitter and he said, uh, the transcendent, brilliant, visionary editor Mark Doyle's is leaving DC this week. I would not have a career without Mark. He gave me my first gig, my first ongoing, made me take insane risks on big stages. In every genre, he tirelessly pushed comics to be better. A true legend. It's a very nice statement, right? Okay. What could Tom yeah. Brevoort possibly have beef about that with? Right? Wow. Okay. Tom Brevoort responded with didn't you force him off the batman title and then crow about it in an interview it's a bit odious to cry (laughs) over the bodies when you had a hand in killing them jesus christ (laughs) yikes savage that is savage go for the throat oh my god right now i was like boy that doesn't sound like tom king oh you hadn't you didn't hear about that or does it? Yeah. <laughs> no, this is... Here's what happened. This is what... This is exactly what uh, King said in an interview with, uh, I believe it was Slate. Um, so here, here's what he said. 
Batman 24, there are two editors listed for that book. The, uh, we switched editors halfway, though. It's not normal. It's very weird. I got in a big fight with my editor about it, an editor I love, Mark Doyle. He wanted to bring in an artist on it who had not worked on the book before. I knew it was this big moment, Batman proposing to Catwoman. You're going to turn on Twitter. There it's going to be, that stupid image. I want this to be an image with David. I, I want him to draw this issue. David Finch, by the way. No, no. David's too busy going on vacation. <coughs> Just call him. We got in a big fight over it. And in the end, we switched editors and got David. And that's how we, we brought Jamie Rich onto the book. That's something I could not do earlier in my career. Say I'm putting my foot down. That's something you can only say when you've had a lot of success. When you first come in, you have no power at all. You're at the whim of your editors who are in control of whether you eat this day. Well, wow. Tom's eating this day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, baby, that's the truth. Now, you take that, right? And you, you look at that, you juxtapose that with what happened earlier in the year where Tom King called out Jay Lee for being yep. uh, alt-right or whatever, whatever, uh, uh, Comics Gate. Yeah, yeah, that was it. And he put him on blast. He said his his variant was crap and he wanted nothing to do with it and he tried to get DC to pull it, but they didn't want to. And then it turned out Jay Lee's not even on the internet like that and didn't know a Comics Gate from a Comics Verse. And he just, <laughs> you know, he had no idea. <laughs> and uh yeah so that's so that's uh that's tom king i guess tom get off twitter yo he's got take get a break take a break bro take a lap just yeah you're just you're just taking owls all over the place lately <laughs> no good yeah my man got no good. blasted yeah feel like uh, it's the year of the heel turn for old uh, Tom K. Oh, it's time. Yeah, I think it's time. <laughs> I don't know. I like him. I like him, but yep. not, not, not so hot. <laughs> About to not know. like him a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, the beef was uh, short-lived. We're waiting for a response from Tom King. <sighs> Don't think we're gonna get one. He just deactivates his Twitter. Yeah, he's too savage. <laughs> Goes on private. <laughs> oh boy! All right, uh, let's let's get into the pals pulls here. We're gonna start off with Kale, who chose Barbalian, Red Planet number one. So this uh, is another Jeff Lemire uh, Black Hammer number one. This one is follows. Uh, another one of the main characters in Black Hammer, who is the uh, he's the Martian Manhunter equivalent. He's a Barbalian. He is a, 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 a red Martian from Mars who is a police detective. Uh, the twist is that he he's gay, and he was. Uh, uh, this story follows him uh, as a detective in the height of the AIDS crisis. Um, and he's also being hunted by uh, a, another Martian or something. Anyway, it's a black hammer and Jeff Lemire. I'm in. Yeah, I think okay. Gabriel Walter Walter uh, is on this, but there he's are, on the cover. There yeah. is another artist on it, Tate something or other. Uh, 
but I, so I'm not sure who is on pencils. I'm l- looking at the um, <clears throat> looking at the creators list on the Dark Horse website, it says that Tate is the writer, Gabriel uh, Walta is the artist, and then Jordi oh, Belair is on colors. Interesting. So maybe wow. maybe uh, Tate and Jeff like co-wrote it. Yeah, yeah. That's quite a team. That's 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 cool. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, you also chose this, uh, something that I think is really cool too: uh, Star Trek Voyager Seven's Reckoning number one. Yeah, so Star Trek is having a renaissance, hmm. um, and uh, I'm not totally sure about their comic books yet. But Voyager is one of my favorite series, mm. uh, and long has long been, and um, so I thought I'd give it a shot. Don't know much about it, but yeah, I, was, I've never read a Star Trek comic book before. Me neither. I didn't know they made them. Yeah, there's a bunch of nineties. Uh, there are a lot now. There have been a lot for a long time. Well, is the creative team tantalizing? Yeah, who's on no, it? No, I have no idea. Oh. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, yeah, I genuinely have no know. idea. But okay, man, I've been watching Star Trek my whole life, but I've never actually been a fan. Wait, what? <laughs> I I, <laughs> what? I started in middle school with the original series, and then uh, I would watch Voyager and Deep Space Nine, uh, like late at night when I would stay at my grandparents. And then recently, my wife and I started really going through them, and and now I also am just like, oh fuck, I'm into Star Trek. Um, yeah, uh, I am a big Star Trek fan. Love the original series. TNG might be my favorite TV show, maybe. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah, uh, a lot of the movies are bad, unfortunately. Yeah. But, but the show, okay. the show is rarely a miss. <laughs> I would say I would personally like I went through the whole thing recently and I would say there are maybe four episodes that I was just like this is not good. Uh there's plenty of misses, but it's okay. When they hit it hit really well. Uh <laughs> but yeah, I've never had the inclination to read comics or anything about Star Trek. So, that's cool. Now you can. That's right. Uh Pete and I both chose a dark interlude number one. Yeah, so this is, um, you know, friend of the show, Ryan O'Sullivan. Artist is uh, Andrea Moody. And um, this is the follow-up to uh, Fearscape, which um, we reviewed on the show. And uh, most of us, looking at you, Phil, you son of a bitch, uh, enjoyed quite a bit. Um, I did want to uh, read the the poll for it because it's in that classic – you know, it's the prose from from our, our lead character. Uh, after the stunning success of Fearscape comes a dark interlude, the story of no, the only offense to the, illiter- to the excuse me, the only offense to literature greater than the loathsome synopsis is the sequel. I will not stand idle while some poor excuse for an editor mangles and confuses my story, which is intact, perfect, and concluded with this derivative drivel. Mark my words, this nonsense has nothing to do with my tale. I am not in it. I do not condone it. And you, dear reader, should not buy it. H.H. H.H., <laughs> <laughs> brother. Okay. <laughs> Much love, 
HH. Oh my god. One more match, brother. <laughs> Gotta love Henry Henry. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. That's cool. I'm I'm excited for it. I really loved Fearscape. I thought it was unique and uh, very, very interesting. And I'm excited to see what Ryan has to say here now. Um, I have felt that Ryan was like one of the rising star uh, names, but we really haven't seen him anywhere since Fearscape, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Because um, he is super talented. So hopefully he gets more more opportunities post, uh, you know, starting from now. Um. From Phil, we have Excalibur Volume 1 Omnibus. Yes, dear listeners, this is not even the current run of Excalibur. This is where it all started. This is maybe my favorite book from when I was a kid. Uh, this wow. is the 1988 run of Chris Claremont and Alan Davis's Excalibur run with uh, Rachel Summers and Captain Britain and Megan and Shadowcat and, of course, uh, my favorite comic book character as a kid, Nightcrawler. Uh, this, this book is fun it has a lot of similarities with it's another book that came out contemporary contemporaneously uh jli and it's kind of silly uh it's very charming uh, this is a book i've wanted as an omnibus for some time now and so then now that it's finally being printed this is just an exciting opportunity mm. so I'm, i hope you pick this one up because i'd love to thumb through it i'm so excited this is a great book awesome uh, and then uh, we both chose the JLA Omnibus by one Grant Morrison. This is the other one. I mean, DC loves printing uh, omnibuses, and they've never printed JLA for some reason. Wild. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, it's I understand printing Animal Man and uh, Doom Patrol and everything. I mean, there's even an Invisibles Omnibus, but how how they've never done um, JLA? I don't know. I I actually am developing a fever to get this book yeah. because I I mean obviously we love Grant and this is just something I've not read. So it's so um, crazy. Uh, like it it really like Grant talks about how like with Doom Patrol the idea was like this weird superhero team taking on some of the weirdest problems imaginable. So with the Justice League, it's like well these are the world's greatest heroes. They got to take on like the greatest threats, and it's got to be threats that. Superman just can't take out by himself. Wonder Woman mm-hmm. can't take out by herself. So he comes up with some crazy ideas, like heaven invading Earth and stuff. I'll say no more than that. But it gives you a sense of the scale that his brain was working when he was doing this. Also, this was peak, like, uh, you know, tripping uh, Grant Morrison too. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to pick this up. This is this is gonna be stuck in my stuff stuffed in my stockings. Jesus. Um, for Christmas, if it's even still available yeah. by that point. Um, it's interesting too because you know Mark Wade took over for this run when he left, but after that was when the JLA disbanded for a while. Oh, after Graham Morrison, how do you follow? How do you follow? Even in your adventures with Graham Morrison, how do you follow that? Yeah, it's like how the Avengers disassembled in around the same time period. Because I th- they're like, we killed God. It's over. Because I did it. I think Mark Wade's run is a. Uh, I could be mistaken, but isn't it a, 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 a restart or retelling of Year Zero? I don't remember. I don't. Hmm. I don't even think I read Mark Wade's run. Actually, I think I, I stopped at Grant's. So couldn't say. 
All right. Well, it's a race to see whether Phil or I get this first. <laughs> Phil, of course, is still trying to figure out which omnibus or absolute edition rather he wants to pick up. Yeah, we got a few uh, suggestions. Have you? Yeah, have you made up your mind? I don't know yet. I'll make a decision before the end of the episode. But on our Discord, people have been saying ideas like uh, like Matt Murphy saying Fourth World, uh, Carlos also saying Fourth World and Day Tripper and uh, Death Absolute Editions. Kefis bringing up Authority, which is one I mentioned before, Planetary, which I've never read, and uh, the Green Lantern Sinestro Corps War was another suggestion that came up. That's a classic. Is there an Absolute Edition of that? Yeah, and Rebirth has mm. one too. So I haven't made up my mind. Fourth World is really tempting. I think that's where I'm leaning at the moment. But before the end of the episode, I will make up my mind. And so you're going to pick one of these, or are you going to pick just of all the books you're interested? No, in? I think I think I think that was a step is based on suggestions on the Discord. So I'm going to make I'm going to make a decision based on these. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Now's our opportunity to lobby for something fucking terrible. Let's go. Yeah, yeah we'll, right? I'm sure we'll get more comments as we go through the episode, but we'll see. Swamp Thing. Um, it's not awful, Kale. That would be amazing. Yeah, that'd be a good purchase. I wouldn't regret that. Guys, Marco's not here. You're going to have to blow the smoke. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not here, so I can admit I like Swamp Thing now. That's right. Never admit. We'll never belabor on this subject when he's not here. So, uh, when we do get into the main topic, we've got three reviews. We've got the uh, Ten of Swords stuff still still kicking. Um, but we do have a little bit of news to cover. Uh, as we said earlier, DC fired quite a few people. Uh, and this has been an ongoing thing kind of throughout, you know, since the, since the pandemic started, I think. Um, but... DC chose to handle this week in an interesting way. Uh, DC is very aware of the optics of, of their behaviors, and I think they chose to try to cover up or soften the blow of the firings. And I'm going to explain how as we go through DC's week. So they started off on the 9th by announcing... A new editor-in-chief. So the ninth, keep in mind, was Monday. Alright? And they announced Marie Javins as the editor-in-chief. To much applause and celebration on Twitter, Marie Javins, uh, former executive editor of Global Publishing and Digital Strategy of DC Comics, uh, and, you know, edited... At DC, books like Justice League, DC Hero Girls, Death Metal. Um, she has now been promoted to the big chair. Uh, Daniel Cherry III, who was the general manager over there at DC Comics, said, Marie intrinsically understands the power of comics and their unique ability to entertain and empower, which makes her a perfect choice to be DC's next editor-in-chief. She's also incredibly committed to increasing access to this amazing industry by mentoring the next generation of comic book creators and helping them find their voices. So that's pretty cool, right? Sure. Mm. Sounds good. That's a good one. Yeah. 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 So far, so good. <laughs> well, I guess the story ends here, right? <laughs> yeah. Got a new editor. Good work, DC. <laughs> new editor-in-chief, new president. All on November 9th. We set. 
No said, other drama. Uh, no other drama needed. I, I do. I do want to give her her moment. I would like to read a few words from Marie Javins before we move on. She said, "As a young girl devouring comics of Wonder Woman, Nubia, and Supergirl, I never dreamed that decades later I'd be at the helm of the mighty DC Comics. I'm incredibly honored by this responsibility, and will dedicate myself to supporting and challenging DC's extended family of staff." talents, retailers, and partners around the world in our quest to tell innovative visual stories that both reflect and expand our world, and in some cases, our galaxy and multiverse. Ah, yeah, this is a feel-good story. This is great. This sounds exactly like everything we've been looking for. Yeah, oh, uh, we rarely get to really dig our teeth into the feel-good news of comics, you know? We always talk about so many sad and bad things that happen. This is great. Cool. Thanks, Sean. I really thought the way he phrased that uh, sounds good, right? I want to give her her moment. I really thought he was going to say something like, I hate black people and I'm going to kill Batman. <laughs> Whoa, Kale. Why are you uh, speaking your real truth? Now? He's out himself. No. Um, sorry. Stop it. No. Uh, <laughs> Sean I, immediately was like, that was too far. Well, it's, it's, it's funny because I, I am always like, I feel cautious now. When Sean has like three mm-hmm. stories lined up in a row like this, because it's like I'm gonna, I don't want to be like, oh yeah, this sounds great. Like, look at these great things she's done. It's like, all right, well, in her spare time, she kills puppies. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, oh great, awesome. <laughs> DC needs the innocent blood of puppies. <laughs> the innocent blood. <laughs> puppies are born sinners, just like people. It's in the Bible. Thank you, Kel, <laughs> for our Bible check. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, one thing that I did see that was cool in this, um, you know, one of the, the things you mentioned is how she's been working to, like, increase, uh, you know, accessibility to, to the work. And it's uh, one of the things that they called out in the comicbook.com article was that prior to working at DC, um, she worked at a media group in Kuwait who licensed DC comics in the Middle East and North Africa. Oh. And, like, produced some original series and stuff, too, which is pretty cool. That sounds sick. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And she was a colorist. So I always I always like to see people who have like you know, been in the trenches um at the helm. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh that's that's really cool. She was actually a colorist at Marvel, um, and an editor. So she's clearly a jack of all trades, clearly is 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 entrenched in the industry and probably gets it, you know, probably gets it. Uh, very well so hats off to her uh that that's that's really cool especially she's been a fan since she was a kid um it doesn't get much better than that right no that's a huge opportunity so you know uh congratulations yeah and all was well for exactly one day oh no (laughs) oh no when we also found out that marie has a mighty backhand with a sword as she cut the heads <laughs> off her entire staff. Well, uh, well, <laughs> it wasn't her. Uh, it was Warner Media CEO Jason Killar. It's in the name! Appropriate. <laughs> the Killar? Really? Yep. He straight up sounds like a villain. I love it. I love it. That's hilarious. <laughs> we should have seen it coming! <laughs> Why would you hire a guy named Killar? 
That's some comic so, book shit. Mr. Killar uh, <laughs> announced <laughs> some layoffs. Uh, first of all, his announcement is in all caps. Oh, boy. And it it's says... really weird. <laughs> <laughs> this, looks like, this looks like a supervillain's note. It's like, why are you screaming, bro? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is, the, this is the memo. It says, this is a very painful email to write. And for a number of you reading this, I will realize it. I realize it will be even more painful to receive this. For this, I am sorry. In August, I first shared news about how we were going to meaningfully change the organizational structure of Warner Media, which entailed, among other items, simplifying how we organize our entertainment studios, elevating HBO Max, and consolidating our commercial activities into one organization. Many of you have patiently waited to hear how the reorganization would affect you personally, which is both uncomfortable and stressful. <laughs> yeah, good, dude. Just like yeah, you yelling really in an email. Yeah, why is he? Why is he writing like a forum poster? <laughs> Attention! This is why my opinion on Daredevil 2003 is actually the best movie ever made. The list is following describes the ten reasons why this is actually better than Batman 1989. Number one. Reducing this period of uncertainty was one of the many reasons we pushed so hard to get through this work as quickly and as thoughtfully as possible. Although it probably didn't feel fast enough. Oh my god, what the fuck? I can't. I want to thank you all for continuing to contribute your best, despite this challenging period, and the additional pressure of everything else that has been going on in the world. What What a throwaway, like everything else, like all that COVID shit, all that extra stuff. I'm sure that was rough, too. <laughs> On top of not knowing if you would have a job. <laughs> yeah. Sorry you were stressed out by the fake-demic. <laughs> Today, we have arrived at a number of difficult decisions that are resulting in a smaller Warner Media team. This is a function of removing layers of the impact of consolidating previous separate organizations starting today in North America. We will be sharing which jobs are being eliminated and which roles have changed. All right, I'm done. You you get the point. This is very long. Uh, wait, no. I'm picturing it. To our colleagues who are leaving, I wish there were words to lessen today's pain. Your contributions are a permanent part of this great company, and today's news does not change that. I am extremely thankful for all that you have done for this team and this mission. I hope that at some point you will look back on all of it with immense pride. Until then, please stay well and safe. Jason. First of all, how the hell am I going to stay well and safe when you fired me? I don't have health right insurance anymore. I am I have no health insurance, and there's a pandemic, you bastard. We thank, thank you for all your hard work, and we will be eating off of your backs for and talent and creativity for the next hundred years. I know we all like the movie The Dark Knight because we work for Time Warner. We had the idea from the movie of tryouts to get people to stay here by fighting each other to the death with broken pool sticks. <laughs> It'll be a tournament style. Yes, I stole that from Sword of Ten of Swords. I like the idea that it's like you get this whole letter and then instead of the last paragraph to those leaving, he's just like, enclosed, you will find a button. <laughs> On it, it will have fifty percent of your coworkers. If you press the button, your job will be saved. <laughs> so 
this is affectionately being uh, referred to as DC Bloodbath 2. I was going to call it the calling joke. Well, all right. That works as well. All right. I guess. Um, This is yet another wave of them getting rid of lots of different talent. Um, And, you know, when you look at the list, um, I mean, you know, they got in in August, they got rid of Bob Harris, who was the editor in chief at the time. They got rid of Jonah Weiland. They got rid of, you know, uh, Mark Doyle. Well, Mark Doyle and and Andy Corey were, um, what's the word, Uh, furloughed, I believe, Mm. at the time. And now they're, they're. I guess they're having. I guess they're having their final day. Like now, now they're officially gone. Yeah. Um, but then there were even more names added to the to the list. Um, after that, so this is DC's second bloodbath, and it's really sad because when you look at the names, the thing you'll notice is that you know most jobs are like. Um, last in, first out type of things, where it's like, if you're new, you're let go first when they have to do things like this. DC has been the exact opposite. DC has been the longer you're around, the more likely it is that you're going to get fired. Or at least that's how it seems. Um, so many of these names are people that, you know, have tenure there. You know, I've seen some names, people around 27 years losing their jobs. Um, and it, obviously it's really, it's really unfortunate. I'm sure when you're at a job for that long, you expect a certain level of, of I don't know, protection, but, just, you know, you kind of feel safer, yeah, probably, than, you know, life, the newbie. You know? Yeah. Like, you're there 40-plus hours a week, and, like, you know everyone, you know their families and stuff. Like, when things like this yeah. happen, it really, you know, the rug is pulled out from under you, you're thrown to the curb, and it's like all those years of time and dedication are for nothing. That's what it feels like. What gratitude yeah. did you receive for all your time, blood, sweat, tears, all that? Nothing. Especially now. Yeah, during you a know? pandemic. <clears throat> and, yep. like, not only during a pandemic, also, you know, going, you know, like Sean said, going right into the holidays when yeah. if you have a family, there's going to be the expectation that you're going to spend a bunch of money on stuff for your kids that you don't maybe have now. It's a good point. In addition to that, obviously, you know, the CDC and a bunch of state health departments around the country are telling people to avoid large uh, social gatherings for the holidays. So, like, you're going home empty-handed when you can't even see most of your family anyway. Like, worst timing imaginable. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. harsh. It's, it's no bueno. Um, so, there's, there's a lot in that. Uh, so, before anything else, of course, we are... Uh, we, we hate the fact that these people lost their jobs. It sucks. And, you know, it's, it's you know, we're, we're having fun, uh, not at their expense. But underneath the firings, you look at, you know, the names and then you also look at their tenure and you kind of compare that to DC's movements of late. And so we have to talk about Daniel Cherry the third. He's the general manager at DC Comics. General managers are like peak middle management in America. That's the person who typically like does all the things that the people higher up than them don't want to have to be responsible for. Yeah. 
uh, that's the bad guy, generally speaking. Yeah. And that is the role that Cherry has performed uh, in a lot of ways since he got promoted. Um, he's kind of been the person to cull a lot of DC. And so here's a little bit uh, from from Bleeding Cool. And this is something that we've kind of been talking about recently. Um Daniel Cherry III, newly appointed DC Comics General Manager, is doing exactly what he was brought in to do by DC uh, in DC by Warner Brothers President Pamela Lifford. To calculate corporate downsizing, assess minimum requirements, fire the highest paid people, promote the juniors with small raises, imply, quote, you're lucky to still have a job in this economy, and cut freelance rates and commitments. It's, it's also notable that Marie Javins is reporting directly to Cherry rather than to DC Comics publisher and CCO Jim Lee. Lee has denied earlier rumors that he was planning to transition out of DC in 2020, but this does seem to cut him out of the editorial loop. I have been informed that DC Comics young adult original graphic novel editors are being reassigned, nicknamed Javins lieutenants. Now, that's really important. It's super, super important. Because we have talked, last week we spent a while talking about the big changes going on at DC and how it looked like, you know, they might be getting rid of continuity altogether. I mentioned that I heard a rumor that DC was going to be stripping or, or you know, offering lower rates to creators across the board. And a result of that was going to be lots of creators that are super popular uh, leaving because they weren't going to be getting paid. The reason they went to D.C. in part was the big bucks, and now the big bucks aren't there. Uh, as a quick thought that just popped into my mind, remember like two years ago when Jonathan Hickman was supposed to be going over to D.C.? Yeah. And then he didn't because he wanted to work on X-Men. And the assumption was that after he was done uh, revitalizing the X Men for Marvel, he would go to DC. Bet you that doesn't happen. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, we uh, the, the prevailing rumor was that Hawkspox was going to take place in the Legion of Superheroes at the time. What? Didn't hear that. Dang. I actually never heard that. It was yeah. yeah it was uh, we we did talk about it because that was wildly fascinating to me. But there you go. Interesting. Um, I wonder, you know what I've always wondered, um, when Hickman first announced Hoxpox and was talking about it, he said that, um, this was a story he'd been, he'd been wanting to write since he was a little kid. I always wondered, like, what part of it was that? Mm. But, uh, maybe, maybe we'll get to ask him one day. Anyway, deviations aside, um, now we're, we're seeing... All of these, you know, people who make DC what it is in a lot of ways. Look at, you know, put aside the what how Tom King um, treated uh, Mark Doyle. Put put that aside. Look at how glowingly he talked about him. Yeah. And then when you look when you go on Twitter and you see, you know, Andy Curry, there were a lot of people who had a lot of really positive things to say about him. Yep. Over on Twitter, um, maybe Bob Harris not so much. But, like, by and large, these people have been spoken of very highly. What reason would you have to get rid of people who know the industry and who understand 
how it ticks, how to make sure books ship on time, like the nuts and bolts things that you can't just hire anyone to handle, right? It's not the same thing as like getting a new intern, you know, uh, you can't, you can't just do that. Um, you can, you can hire anybody to flat a book. You can't hire anybody to work with creators and know how to get into the mind of the creator and make sure things come out well. This is bad. Yep. And I think what this speaks to is DC changing their focus in a big time way. I really do. So I'll stop and I'll ask you guys, what the hell do you think is going on here? Well, this seems to me kind of like you're doing a complete company-wide restructuring. Uh, oftentimes, you know, anecdotally, when things like this happen, it feels like the don't want to, you know, be too ominous here, but it kind of feels like the precursor of a death knoll. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it sounds like that rumor we always heard about Marvel that they were going to focus on the on the films and the comic books can go screw. Yeah, and and that rumor um, was always interesting to me, just because. Um, I, I never it never really seemed like Marvel was going in that direction, at least in my opinion. Um, like Marvel, it feels like Marvel did what DC's doing in a sense because it felt like a lot of top tier creators had abandoned Marvel's ship. Marvel wasn't paying them what DC was willing to. And I guess part of that's because maybe they were like, hey, you know, our characters are the ones that sell. We've got these great movies. You know, we don't need to pay top dollar. Um, and maybe DC's having similar thoughts now. I don't know. I don't even know that that's what Marvel was thinking. That's just uh, my perception. But the difference here is that DC is really just, like, taking an axe to the behind-the-scenes people who make things run. Yeah. Um and one thing you'll notice too is a lot of the, some of the people being fired are people who work directly with the direct market, which is also weird. And it speaks to some of the other rumors that we've been hearing. Yeah, so <clears throat> I don't know. I think this, coupled with you know the stories we talked about last week, and even just over the last couple months with everything that's been going on at DC, I think it's clear that you know they're shuffling the deck quite a bit here you know like they're looking to, sh- to shake things up <laughs> do you mean clear the deck yeah i think they're done shuffling at this point fair enough you know but i think it, it's it's tough because like i think that the extreme um that you're talking about sean like it doesn't it, it definitely seems likely uh in a lot of ways you know that like there is a broader initiative here to really, really change the way that they do business. But I think one of the, the quotes that you pulled about the uh, the GM, whose name is escaping me right now. Daniel Sherry. Daniel Sherry. Um, is that this, this does also seem like something you see when there is kind of like that gutting and restructuring of like, these people are not getting fired because they're not doing a good job. They're getting fired because they are paid the most. Because they've been there the longest and they're owed the most. So getting rid of them for a bunch of young, hungry professionals who you can pay a lot less and ideally get a similar quality level of quality um, out of their work. Uh, because 
you know, that's not unheard of either, right? At some point, you have to turn over and get new talent anyway. So why not do it now and ax a bunch of these people and save this money while you're in a point of – and again, I'm not advocating for this. I'm just talking through what I think their thought process may be, right, is you trim as much fat as you can and get this department looking as lean and like operating as, as cleanly as you can and try to like turn the maximum profit so that you can – you know, say like, oh, see, this is how we do this moving forward or see this justifies its existence um, in a way that's more, you know, that that like lines up better for their their shareholders or for whoever, you know, the bean counters are. And like, why are we, you know, we talked about how they're paying for this giant office space in um, what in Burbank, right? Burbank, yeah. Yeah. And like they just they, moved there too, like seven years ago. Right. And, but it's like they probably don't need that. You know, it's like it's a status symbol for a division of a large company that they probably don't think of as making enough money to warrant that expenditure. And I think it's like I think it could be representative of a let's burn the fucking house down and start over and figure out like how we appeal to this growing market of books and, you know, the scholastic fairs and all these things that are more youth oriented and you sell you know, the dorks like us who want to buy their adult Batman books then through Amazon or Comixology or whatever you're going to do, and you start cutting out as many middlemen men as you can. Um, I think that could be the case, but it could also just be that they are scaling things back, and it's not a total disruption of business as usual as much as it is like, where are there corners that we can cut? Let's cut them and deal with the fallout later, because... Mm. That's not unheard of either, right? If they fire a bunch of people and get a bunch of new people and things are going great, they saved a ton of money and are making the same, you know, like the same amount of money they were, but the profit margins are better now. And if it all goes to shit, how hard is it to do another crisis reboot? And you fire a bunch of people and bring another, you know, and do another fresh launch and do what you got to do to get people back in on the number ones again anyway. But you made that short term gain. It's a risk. When you talk about downsizing everyone at once, yeah, I mean, when it comes to a company's uh, expenditures, spending, and profit sharing, um, obviously salaries and, and benefits are the biggest uh, chunk of that of that pie. But yeah. ideally, you want to transition people out incrementally, like not all at once. Usually when something like that happens – Bringing in that much inexperience at the same time, that's extremely risky. And for people that are business-oriented, that level of risk is not advisable in a corporate environment. It's Yeah, it, it, it shows that you're looking to show that the system doesn't work because you broke it. I would also argue that I don't think DC gets too many more chances. Like, I don't know if there is that uh, opportunity to keep blowing things up the way they have been yeah. um, for a couple of reasons. One, I, I think um, fans are kind of getting tired of it. Um, and then also, I think they're burning a lot of bridges. They're making mm-hmm. seismic changes that, you know, will have ripple effects. Um, and when you talk about how they've treated the direct market, you know, those are bridges that could be you know, irrevocably, irrevoc- ir- oh my goodness, <laughs> irrevocably burned, especially yeah. because DC is cutting away a lot of the the tenured people who might have 
put in FaceTime with, you know, business owners that can smooth things over when this whole thing, if it ends, you know, if they decide they want to, you know, pivot again. That's a good point. Um, those same people won't be there. Now, I do want to address uh, some some rumors and gossip uh, that's been posted by Bleeding Cool regarding a lot of this stuff that's going on. Um, and I think it's, it's pretty interesting and it speaks to what we're talking about. Um, uh, so one point is that DC, uh, DC is leaning away from monthly comics, more towards digital books, um, where it would be, you know, continuity less. And those digital series would then be collected into trades and, you know, anthologies and things like that that would do well in the book market. Um, and all the different places that we've talked about DC trying to get into, like Amazon and book fairs and things like that. And that comic book stores would kind of be like, all right, they'll go there too. You know, the way it used to be was comic book stores and they'll go to Barnes and Noble too. And now it's mm-hmm. the opposite. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that we won't really see stories anymore from characters outside of the major ones that DC has kind of created major properties out of, like Batman, uh, Wonder Woman, Superman, um, Flash, Harley Quinn, things yeah. like that. Um, that characters outside of those big names wouldn't really be seen as much anymore. Um, so, yeah, and, and just generally that there would be more of a focus on not what we're used to, not the direct market. And also, the other big one, that they wouldn't be focused on comic book conventions, All of those things to me signify that DC doesn't want to be a traditional comic book company anymore. Mm. Or Time Warner doesn't want DC to be. Doesn't want them to be. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, if if all of those things are true, then I think that's not, you know, you can't really argue that, right? And I mean, with rumors like that, it's one of those things where it's like, where there's smoke, there's probably some fire. I imagine mm-hmm. some of those things are true, whether or not it's all of them. Um, some of those matter more than others. Right. You know? But I think, um, like, the idea of, like, minor characters, like, not getting as much spotlight, like, that makes a ton of sense. They've done because, that for years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, that's already true on yeah. some level, right? Um, and we were already talking about how they were planning on trimming back their their line and we always made the joke about like do you need Daphne Byrne number six right oh, so I think on some level uh, you're, that's right it did the the issue um, I think on some level you're going to see that anyway with everything that's been going on but yeah I don't know it's, it's going to be interesting to see because on some level I don't know that all of those are bad decisions I think it's if they're if it's a total commitment to all of those decisions, that I think is uh, a shift that is alarming in some level, you know, and like it is definitely something that's going to reverberate through the industry. And, you know, I think both good and bad ways, you know, um, obviously, if DC isn't taking up that that space, 
that's a ton of room for other books, you know, and, and other publishers to maybe uh, get some of that attention. But we've also talked a lot about, like, does the person who goes and reads Batman every week shift over to another book? Or do they pick up these, you know, collected trades at a bookstore? Or do they stop reading, you know? So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of ways it could spin out from here. Yeah, you heard Pete first here, folks. He likes a lot of what Time Warner's doing. Mm-hmm. I'm not Marco. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I I think you know we've we've talked a lot about it. Like the book market is an emerging market, and it's it's a market that becomes more important every single year. And I I don't think that there's that it's inherently bad for a publisher to really focus on courting that market and growing that market and and um, making comics more accessible outside of comic book stores, you know, because we've talked about a lot the problem with the fact that comic book stores are like the way to get comics for a lot of people, you know, where like if you live in, and we talked about this last week or two weeks ago, right? Like if you lived like where I grew up and there's three comic book stores within driving distance, great. You have easy access to comics. And if the comic you want isn't at that one shop, there's two others that I can go to. And there's a bookstore. I had plenty of options. But if you're living in the middle of, you know, I don't know, Texas or something like Kale did, you don't have as many options. Maybe you have no options. Um, and it's a lot more likely for your local mall or shopping center to have a Barnes and Noble than it is to have a comic book store in a lot of places. So I, I don't think that there is, um, like if you're a shop owner, obviously I think this, this is an immediately threatening thing. I think as a reader, it's not necessarily like, you know, a doom and gloom decision, but it's when you hear that coupled with. All of those other things is where I think that that paints a picture that leans more towards what Sean is saying, where it is like them really wanting to abandon, um, I guess, like the comics community, as it were, versus, you know, yeah, they're still going to be making comics, but you're going to see that breakdown of the relationship and the connection of DC to things like San Diego or New York Comic Con or, you know, well, if they, keep, shop. if they keep with movies, and you have to imagine they will, is one facet, uh, facet of this conversation that I'm curious about. They'll definitely be at San Diego and New York. There's no way. I guess, but I, they could also like do the DC fandom yeah. stuff and just well, do their own shit. The rumor suggests that DC's presence at those cons, at all cons, would be baked into like a Warner Brothers booth area. Yeah. Um, where it would they would just be like a part of that, but they wouldn't have their own presence. They wouldn't have their own panels or anything like that. Be like Lionsgate at San Diego exactly. or whatever. Just like, right. oh yeah, come check out our standee and take a picture with Henry Cavill and. Right. Yeah. Um, I so my thing is this. I don't think. That Warner slash DC knows what their audience wants. I think that they are sort of taking a gamble at something that Pete and Marco have talked about on the show about this, uh, this, uh, hidden, this untapped market, this untapped audience, these people who are not yet activated comic book fans, or maybe they buy like a, a couple of trades a year or whatever. 
and they're just looking for a way in. And I guess DC's trying to offer them that way in. And they're doing so at the expense of everyone else, the core audience. And something that bothers me about that is the reaction that we actually got to this conversation in Discord, where we were talking about the idea of DC giving up continuity. And the one thing that I noticed, and it's something you probably feel yourself if you're listening and you're a fan of comics, is how it actually hurts when it feels like something that you've dedicated a large part of your life to um, turns its back on you. And that's what it feels like DC's doing. It's more than just numbers. Uh, Human beings are not numbers. Human beings are people. And we enjoy things. And we celebrate that. And when you give your money over to buy a book, that's a statement. You're saying something about who you are and what you want out of life. And DC doesn't seem to give a shit about that. If you're 30 years old or you're 25 years old and you've been reading comics for your whole life, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of time that you have spent engaged with this thing. And that's bigger than whether or not, um, you know, whether or not DC is making the kind of, of money that Warner thinks they need to be making. Um, you don't shit on those people. That's a bad idea. I think it's an objectively bad idea. I don't think there's an argument that could sway me to think that it makes sense to throw away your core audience. And I don't know if I can think of an example of a time where that has ever worked. I remember when, uh, as a crude example, I remember when Playboy tried to, um, pivot away from like nudity in the book and focus more on like the, the articles and, you know, um, pictures of women dressed, actually dressed and things like that. They went bankrupt within a couple of years. Like the, the, they shuddered. Um, this will not end well. It's just misguided. It's not intelligent. There's nothing wrong with going into the book market and trying to do those things. I don't see why that's to come at a cost of the core audience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're losing money, and I don't think they know what to do. They don't know their audience, and they don't know what to do. And when you talk about getting rid of all the people who have any kind of sense of what to do based on years of experience... Who do you turn to? And it's deliberate. That's the thing. It's like those people aren't willingly leaving. They're being told to where the door is. Yeah. And so the people who could solve the problem now can't because they're, they're not there. But I don't think that any of those things are outside of what the new regime at DC wants to happen. I think right. they think that this is the way. This is the way. Yeah. Yeah, I think the thing is, right, like they don't want to f- quote unquote fix the problem. To them, this, like the current system is the right. problem. Right. If you turn to the people that have, you know, they're, if, the, if the current system is the problem and the people there are part of the quote unquote problem, if you're corporate, you don't turn to those people at all. So that's right. what they're thinking. But as we've alluded to, it's a giant gamble to even start from scratch like this. With an unproven plan, you the Playboy example is a really uh, prudent one because that's exactly what could happen here. Especially when to Kale's point, you know, 
Pete was talking about shuffling the chairs. If there's no chairs left to shuffle, you know, the ship goes down. Yeah, and you're filling those seats with people who don't who don't know the business as well, and it's you know it's just a fact. Um, I'm very worried. I'm very very worried. I love DC. You know, I I didn't grow up on DC comics, but I definitely love them. And over the past ten years, I've really solidified that love. Obviously, Grant got me in the door, but you know, there's so many wonderful characters and stories and things like that. I don't want the current iteration of DC to go away in the sense of Publishing monthly books, physical floppies, serialized stories. Those are the things that I want. And if you're not providing those things, you're going to – like all I'm saying is DC better be right about this untapped audience. Like they, they, they have to be right. Yeah. I mean DC comics are comics in the most purest way. It's comic book history. Yeah. Like the most purest iconography of comic books are things like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman – JLA. Uh, you think of the history of comics, you think of like the Blackhawks and Sergeant Rock. Like, this is pushing a century at this point. And it's pure Americana. Agreed. Like, you talk about the history and lifeblood of the country. Comic books, superhero comic books are as original of an American art form as anything. I have, like, in my mind, right, what DC needs to do, what Warner needs to do is, like, first thing I would do, obviously I don't work there, I don't know the realities, but in my mind, move DC out of that building. Get them out of Burbank. Move the business of DC into a cheaper place. Because one thing that, that gets mentioned is that books that DC publishes that would normally be a big seller for any other company are in the red because of the what DC needs their books to sell in order to be profitable. I don't Incredible. think that this change is going to fix that. I really don't. Like, do you really think that DC is going to sell that much more books digitally pushing this way? I, I don't see why. Yeah, what evidence the is price there? The price is not going down. I got news for you. That three ninety nine price point is not going away. Why would DC lower the price just because they're only publishing digitally? That's <laughs> foolish if you think that. Yeah. There's people that think that. They're and, not lowering the price. And also the digital market is nothing, even for DC. Yeah. Yeah. There's this there's this belief that digital's the future. Maybe it's the future in like a long time from now. Mm. But right now, it's not. That's nuts. I think. I think with the gamble that they're taking is that, right? Like their thought process must be: if you're somebody who can't wait, you know, if you are a monthly reader, that you'll go digital, and if not, if you are just like, I'll never read digital, you'll buy it when it's a trade. You'll buy it when it's collected. You know, and like maybe some people will, but I don't know, man. It's uh. It's going to be interesting because I think it, it also really depends on, like, what their publishing line looks like. Like, how many right. books are they putting out and, you know, who are the target markets for those books and are they serving each of them well? Yeah. Um, I mean, hey, if you were just talking digital first and you weren't talking about no continuity, um, 
you know, top tier creators jumping ship, uh, All no B tier yeah. characters, like, like it's like layers of bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, any one of these things I think could work. And could be a dramatic shift that pays off, but like all of them at once feels very like destined to fail. Yeah. You know? Like you're 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 pulling out support beams before you replace the next one, you know? I honestly don't think any of them would work to be to like I, I I don't think DC can afford to say goodbye to their core group. I don't think DC can afford to say goodbye to Tom King. I really don't. Mm. These names that people come for, how can you just like? I, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I'm flabbergasted. Yeah. I'm not going to keep belaboring it, but I'm just shocked. I really am. And it's going to be interesting what we're going to be talking about when it really as it relates to DC in one year. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's move on. <laughs> Sorry. Especially when HBO Max flops and the DC shit doesn't work. Like, HBO Max you is know, not going to flop. The DC, but what of the DC stuff works is my point. Oh, like, see. you know, and even, even if HBO mm. Max keeps going and the DC stuff is successful. I see. Yeah. How much, you know, how much revenue is that going to bring them? Because yeah. movies, I mean, movies are going out the window right now too. Yeah. With with that in mind, I I don't want to get you know this is like way way far ahead of ourselves. There's a a not insignificant chance that they just sell DC. No, they 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 they, they will never sell DC. You know why? Because those characters represent a ton of money for Warner in every other sense. Well, so toys. Um, yeah, that's movies, true. Movies, like, there, there's too many ways. Games. Yeah, they'll fart they, out a Batman cartoon well, every year and big I mean, deal. that's the thing. They talked about selling the WB Games division a few months ago. The reality is the only w- way I can see that happening is if Time Warner goes the way of Fox. Yeah. Yeah, WB gets cut can up. sell WB Games and still make money off WB Games or That's off true. DC Games. That's true. So the the rights to the property is is the most important thing about owning DC. And I think they continue to publish comics as a token. Like, well, they exist already and it'd be, you know, I guess it would be a bad look to get rid of them all together and we do get stories out of them that we can use on the big screen, so let's and characters that you can sell merch for and everything, you know. Yeah. We've got this 30-year history of watching Marvel try to put the pieces together until they finally cracked it with Iron Man after selling all their shit. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know. It's 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 all it's all bad. Yeah, yeah. But Marie Javins. Hey, hey. all right. <laughs> good luck. Good luck, Marie. <laughs> you got a. You got. You got a lot to inherit here. Speaking of jumping ship from DC, here is the hottest announcement of a non-big two book to come out this week. Uh, it's called Geiger. It's by Jeff Johns. Ooh, it's by yeah. Gary Frank. Ooh. Hell yeah. The boys. That's a good shit. Need I say more? The band is back. Hell yeah. Image Comics. Okay. 
That's it. That's the story. It doesn't yeah. matter what the book's about. That yeah. shit's hype. Yeah. <laughs> that, that does actually. I'm surprised I want to pick up an image book at this point, right? <laughs> yeah, this is nuts. You know, we just did a whole story about DC and, and top tier creators leaving. Jeff Johns, this is his, from what I read, his first creator owned work ever. That's so good. I mean, really? and I get it. I mean, they let Jeff do whatever he wants. So when you're, when you're a creator and they're like, oh, yeah, uh, do your thing, there's less temptation to go to Image because you're just like, oh, well, I, just, I already get to do whatever I want. Oh, dude, Brad Anderson's doing colors too. That's hype. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. So uh, let's 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 read a little bit of what uh, Jeff had to say. Gary and I have been secretly working away on Geiger since we finished up Doomsday Clock earlier this year, and we couldn't be more excited to be doing our first creator-owned book for Image. Now that we're miles ahead on the release schedule, we can finally talk about it. Geiger was inspired by the early days of Image when wonderfully wonderfully all new graphic cre- uh, characters like Todd McFarlane's Spawn. Eric Larson's Savage Dragon, and so many more were at the forefront of their publishing line. It was such an exciting time as a reader for us, and we're hoping to tap into that excitement again with an unexpected and unknown with Geiger. Doomsday Clock's Brad Anderson is bringing his beautiful palette to the book. And so the synopsis is, Who are the scavengers of a dying Earth? Geiger is set in the years since a nuclear war ravaged the planet, Desperate outlaws battle for survival in a world of radioactive chaos. Out past the poison wasteland lives a man even the nightcrawlers and organ people fear. Some name him Jim Gl- Joe Glow. I almost said Jim Crow. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> oh no, buddy! Some name him Joe Glow. Others call him the Meltdown Man. But his name is Geiger. And it'll be out in April. Okay. Yeah, no. Uh, I'm in. Team about it. Yeah, that's. You could could have given me a garbage elevator pitch, and I still would be like, you know what? I trust him. (laughs) And it's a good one, thankfully. Yeah, it sounds cool. You wouldn't even need to give me a title. That creative team, that image. Yeah, sure. Fuck. All right. Yep. With no mandates, no no generations to to try to shill us in the last issue. Like that crap that happened. Well, slow down. Slow down. We don't know that yet. You get to the you get we to the last about page. Doomsday Clock too. It's fucking yeah. You you get to the last page and it's just like, and this is how Savage Dragon fits into everything. <laughs> Honestly, that might be Jeff's brain. He might be like, yeah, we gotta get Savage Dragon here somehow. My man, it probably is at this point Invincible after working reboot. fucking working at DC for however fucking long. How can we get the darkness involved in this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> I love the darkness. I don't know why. Um, uh, I, the band? No. Oh. Sean does believe in a thing called love, though. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know it's a bad joke when Phil tries to brush it okay. off. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is um, not to like circle back to the last story too much, but like this is one of the, the things that I think is kind of potentially exciting about seeing like the rates go down at DC is seeing people like Johns and Frank be like, fuck it. Let's go to image and do a creator owned book. Cause like we've talked about this before, right? Like once you're a, a creator on that level, you don't, you don't need Marvel and DC behind you as much, you know, like, this book will probably sell really well, and if it's good, it'll probably 
get adapted or somebody will buy the rights from them for a ton of money. And like, that's a lot better than a payday at DC. Like it's, you know, like you get, you get skin in the game and you get to like really just do whatever you want to do. And when you're a creator who is, you know, battle tested through years and years of working at one of the big two and you have that kind of following and you have the chops to back it up. That's that's exciting. That's a really exciting time for for their career and what that could mean moving forward for them. Well, and as well, I mean, all the editorial people are all people who, you know, by tenure alone, obviously love comics. So you got to imagine all of the companies and, uh, you know, young startups that are going to come from that as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, and like there's more room for books like Geiger. That's an that's especially when DC goes under. Such an uh, that's such an eighties ass name, Geiger. In a post-apocalyptic <laughs> world, where do the scavengers get their dung heap? Geiger. Dung heap. <laughs> <laughs> like obviously, it makes you think of of HR, right? And I'm just oh, like thinking yes, of yes, HR Geiger. <laughs> of just like all these like freaky. You cannot like, do that. You, know, you like, cannot do that. Monsters. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see the baby. <laughs> um, that's good, yeah. Two two thoughts. One, this is opening up a whole new world for Jeff Johns, right? I mean, he's been at DC for the longest, and I think he'll probably always do do work with DC. Uh, I think he loves them too much. He loves that continuity too much to ever fully leave. But this is, you know... Um, Mark Wade said the same thing. <laughs> well, but Mark Wade got done really dirty, though. Uh, Although Jeff Johnson has yeah. been done pretty dirty, done dirty, too. too. <laughs> yeah. um, Jeff Johns is having a taste of something that he's not really experienced, you know, and that's so cool for him. And it might be a thing where he's like, wait, I can tell stories about not Superman, Hold the phone. I am a genius creator. Like, I, I have ideas, you know? Um, and the other thing you have to think about is that, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, from conception to, like, when we see the first issue release in April, that's probably going to result in about a year's worth of Jeff's time and Gary's time and Brad's time to some extent. That's time that they're not spending working on the next big thing for DC. Three Jokers happens to be whether you like it or not the biggest selling dc book i think of the year and the next you know three jokers equivalent hit uh won't be coming from jeff johns for a little while yeah yeah because he's working on this not that you not that he can't work on other things i read there's a three joker sequel that he kind of wants to do Four but that's jokers. probably that's probably a couple of years out you know a year or two out. This is time he's not making DC money. That's bad for DC. Bro, uh, he's and been married to DC Comics for like 20 years. The marriage is stale. His wife, DC, she's been doing him dirty. Overcoming us to this sexy little minx name Image. She's got money. <laughs> she's young. She's hot. Got money. Let's him do what he wants. <laughs> It'd be a fool not to this, take that uh, offer. Is all I'm saying. The the other thing that I thought was interesting about this is, you know, I think honestly it was like a year or two ago now at this point where we had that story about how he was um, 
making deals to start working in Hollywood and getting involved in like in working on like movie scripts and everything. And like, you know, I I wonder if we might not see him follow like a similar trajectory to like um you know, like a Mark Wade. Bro, that was right where like that was his that was his career roots. Like he went to college for like film and like he got to start working for Richard Donner. Like he interned for him. That's right. Yes, it's like that—that right. that could easily be a path that makes forward uh, a path forward that makes sense for him. Like if you know this situation with DC really has like left him feeling sour, or like even if he does just do like one big book for DC every other year or every year or whatever, and he's like going down the creator own path is like maybe he does work on Geiger and then sells the rights and then works on a script for a movie and like can do those things that he was talking about doing anyway, you know, with stuff that he created, that he owns, that he's making, you know, that Robert Kirkman money with ideally, right? Like Geiger. <laughs> In a world. In a world. <laughs> I kind of feel like Jeff John's experience as a as an executive producer, producer um over at DC and Warner uh, I think that that probably going so poorly will have negatively impacted his ability to get jobs um, in that I don't world. know. People mm. fail up over there in Hollywood. <laughs> Maybe. he's had a, There's a lot of stink on him uh, from that era. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, shit. Either way, though, right? Like... Even if he just does the, you know, I'm going to create my IP and sell it to people thing, that's not a bad way to become a millionaire. <laughs> if Jeff Johns isn't a, yeah. you think Jeff Johns not a millionaire? No, I mean, I guess to make like more money is what I'm yeah, saying, yeah. you know, oh, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right, I'm at the point of my career where I can literally just coast and just like, I ideally do some of the best work of his career, right? But like, even if he doesn't, the fuck who cares at this point, right? Yeah. I bet Jeff Johns has one million simoles. One million big ones. He's hit the big time, I tells you. That's a lot of money. Right. Um, oh, yeah. He, I looked him up. Celebrity Net Worth. <laughs> He's worth five million. Oh, okay. Geiger. Geiger. So. That's pretty nice. <laughs> That's, That's pretty nice, where DC. Jeff Johns That's a lot of needs cereal. another million dollars. Cereal King. All right. Um, <laughs> I think this is what held up uh, Doomsday Clock. Uh, DC was like, Jeff, we need the script. And Jeff was like, listen, I can't, I cannot focus on this garbage you're asking me to pedal. I've got my <laughs> own idea. I have to follow it. He wakes up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat and just says one word. Geiger. Geiger. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe he was watching Mandalorian and he saw it and he saw H.R. Geiger. He just Geiger. He, he just texts Gary Frank in the dead of night. Geiger. <laughs> Geiger. <laughs> it's not even a text, it's a voice clip. <laughs> oh my god. Gary Frank's this three in the morning. What the fuck? What is he doing? How much cereal cereal has he eaten? He's like, oh Jesus Christ, we're about to make... <laughs> nah, dude, Ge- Geiger is like... Geiger is like the fucking... Uh, the anti-life equation. If you hear that shit from the mouth of Jeff Johns... 
you just get taken over in the My mind. It's a, it's a yeah, it's a, a sleeper agent uh, activation. <laughs> he heard that shit and he could no longer function on any project. His eyes yeah, turned he, blue and it started the Matrix code. Oh my god! <laughs> I was gonna say you say it backwards and it and Jeff Johns gets fucking shot into the negative zone. Regan. <laughs> Regeek. <laughs> no! <laughs> it's a. It makes uh, sense. It really is a Mr. Uh, Mixel Spitlick shit. Yep. Oh my god, wow. All Just right. like H.R. Keeger. Oh. <laughs> oh. That's crazy funny. Um. <laughs> All right, so before we jump into our, uh, <laughs> before we jump into our Geiger. reviews, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about Marvel. Uh, they did make Why? an announcement this week. <laughs> oh. Well, I'm, I'm actually really interested to hear what you guys think about this one. Um, they made an announcement this week of a book called X Men Legends. Oh, I love that game. Yes, and it has nothing to do with that. Uh, This book is about kind of going into the margins of 80s and 90s X-Men titles and answering long gestating questions, uh, loose threads, (laughs) things like that. (laughs) DC. Kitty Pride magic fuck? DC's like, we gotta ignore our core base. Marvel's like, okay, 60-year-old nerd on X-Men Legends forums, we're going to answer that question about the dragon you <laughs> like so much, Lockheed. We got you. So they're they're using this third Summers Brother thing as a way to really pump this. Uh, they keep mentioning it in all their interviews and things like that. Um, Vulcan? They're going to, I guess, answer oh, the question. Yeah. Or address it, but I thought Vulcan was yeah. the third brother, so I don't see why. I don't know why there's a question. Although, mm, I do remember that in House and Powers, uh, in the Sinister Secrets, those like those rumors. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. One of them was, "What if something to the effect of, what if I told you that there was a fourth brother?" So, oh, maybe that's why maybe I think there's a fourth is, brother. God. I thought Vulcan was the fourth one. I think he is. I think this—that's what this is going to say. That that oh. that there is a there is a fourth brother, and and or there's a third brother. Vulcan's the fourth. I was going to say like how many more Summers brothers do we need? But then I thought about Corsair, and it's like yeah, that guy's constantly that fucking. He fucks. It's called a condom, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they're going to be. Diving into things like that, uh, Adam X, the truth about Adam X revealed. I, I don't know what who that is, um, and uh, we're going to see that we're going to have legacy creators like Chris Claire or yeah, Chris Claremont, uh, Louis Simonson, uh, Larry Hama, Peter David, uh, Fabian Nicesia, mm-hmm. um, Brett Booth will also be a part of this legendary um, creator, Brett Booth. Yeah. Now, the reason why I am intrigued by this is because of what's not being talked about in this article. Right now, the X-Men are as popular as they've been probably in the last like 20 years, I would say. 
um, at least in terms of how hot the books are. And we're very much steeped in Jonathan Hickman's X-Men. I have read a lot of people say that they're experiencing Hickman fatigue. They are they don't want to be so stuck in the House and Powers, the Dawn of X era. They feel like it's rigid storytelling and, and it's not that fun. It's not allowing for a lot of fun. Mm. And I think mm. that X-Men Legends is a direct answer to those people who don't want because if you don't like Hickman's stuff, it's the only game in town. So this is the answer to those people who don't like what Hickman is doing. And I think, I, don't, I might be speaking out of school, but I feel like Chris Claremont has made some shady comments about what's going on right now in the X-Books. Um, wow, that must be nice that. that you cry so much that they give you what you want. If you're a Superman fan, you're stuck <laughs> with Bendis. <laughs> well, yeah, if you're a Superman fan, they fuck continuity and... <laughs> tell you to fuck off. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I, yeah, this is a cool idea, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I feel like this is a good solution to that quote-unquote problem, you know? Because you can write, you can have this book that has legacy creators attached to it that, like, speaks to a nostalgic X-fan, but doesn't have to get in the way or influence what's going on in, you know, the... um dawn of x you know this whole era that for a lot of people is working really well clearly because the books sell really well and you know a lot of people like them a lot so i feel like if you can have your cake and eat it too why not right i i think what's interesting to me about that is the the idea that the other books i guess i mean i guess they have hickman's fingerprint but he's only on two of them i think other what, than Ten of Swords, I guess. I think what people are uh, exper- experiencing is, even though Hickman is not writing all the books, it's his playground. You know, he's letting yeah. other creators in it, but, like, there's no other story to tell. You can't tell that story about Wolverine going to Japan for the 7,000th 7, <laughs> time. You know, uh, that's what we need. They did exactly that. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean, though. Yeah, I do like the low-key uh, shade you threw there. I mean, he's always going to Japan. Like, Jesus he's Christ! A big weeaboo. I mean, like, I mean, you know, I get it. Like, this gives them an opportunity to tell stories about, like, hey, we're back in the mansion. Like, hey, you know, like just a lot of that stuff that maybe people miss. I, what's going on right now? I just I have a lot of trouble with that old style of writing that mm. Claremont presents. You know yeah. what I mean? That I, I mean, I guess it's really like pre-Bendis Marvel writing, where everything was so expositional. Yeah, and it's a flavor, though. Yeah, you know, like, like it. it's like for a yeah, certain for I I like that style. Um, I generally don't gravitate towards new stuff that's written in that style as much as well, you know. But like trained in it, you know, newer writers or older writers aren't as good at writing anymore. Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. There's clearly an audience for this kind of book. I guess my my feeling is <clears throat> there's nothing inherently wrong with this title. Um, I think that you guys are right. It does serve an audience who maybe is feeling a little left in the wind by uh, all this change with the Dawn of X. My feeling, though, is. I think it takes. I think it takes a little bit away. I, I do. I think if you really are selling this Dawn of X as the wave 
if this is the way, then I don't know that you should be reminding people of the way that things were at another time. Normally, I don't think I would feel that way, but this is such a specific thing that they're doing with the X-Men that it feels kind of weird, in my mind anyway, to go back to that well right now. There will be so much time for that in the future. It's one book. I think it's harmless. And it's probably going to be like a low... I can't imagine this book having any impact on continuity whatsoever. Well, it is in continuity, and it's a series. I I understand that, but I can't imagine it having a ton of impact on on the actual continuity. You know, like, okay, yeah, it's in continuity, but I feel like the actions uh, and courses of the stories are going to have such little impact on anything else. Like, whatever. It's also a chance to get older creators a little bit of work. Yeah, that Peter David... <clears throat> really, he's uh, struggling yeah <laughs> well, I mean Chris Claremont you know guy you know can't get a movie made of his stuff it's <laughs> so sad yeah. don't rub salt in the wound that's fresh <laughs> that Brett Booth who just uh, <clears throat> can't get work anywhere uh, well speaking of the X-Men we're gonna dive into our reviews of this week's Ten of Swords books Okay. All right. So we're going to kick things off with our review of Marauders. This is Marauders 15, which is part 14 of 22 of the Ten of Swords event. Uh, Jerry Duggan and Benjamin Percy again teaming up on the script. Uh, Stefano Caselli on art with Edgar Del Delgado on colors and Corey Pettit on letters. Tom Muller, of course, the designer of choice. Now, this issue actually starts off with a page that appears to be telling us what happened in the aftermath of Wolverine stabbing Saturnine, which is the last thing we we saw uh, last week. Started that, and I went, what? What? I know. What? (laughs) I really really disliked this page. Um, It was kind of confusing. And obviously, we know that that's not what happened, but um, it was a lot to read for it to not have been real. Kind of kind of like took me out. Like, I remember when I read this, I was really excited to see, like, okay, what happened? Yeah. And then I just had to read a page for a whole page. Like, eh, all right. Um, the other thing in that page, before we move on, that is really shocking, and I wonder if if even the writers realize what they said here. They said so. So this page is Wolverine seeing what will happen or what could happen if they lose this tournament. In this page, it says Krakoa issued, or sorry, a telepathic mind bomb was hauled through the gate and detonated. Hundreds of mutants' higher brain functions were erased from their brains including Moira X in her no place. Now, Wolverine does not know who Moira X is. So, why would he see that? And if he did see that, and Saturnine showed him that, that means that she knows that. And if she knows that, that's bad. And if Wolverine now knows that because of what he saw, that's bad. And it's not addressed in this book in any way. Am I over-reading? I... 
I don't know that you are, but I think you could be. Yeah. Because it's the kind of thing where, like, if when all the dust settles, Wolverine's like, yo, so in my vision, like, I saw this shit, and, like, there are implications to that, then, yeah, I think you're spot on. But I think it could also just be that this is, like you said, a fake out for the reader of the previously on X-Men. Well, we know know that this is – he really saw this. Right. But just because we were given this information in this recap, does that mean he saw every single one of those things? Or is it just letting us know that the bomb went off and Moira was part of that? He does, you know what I mean? Like that could be ancillary information. It's not. It's not from his perspective. It's from whoever you know the narrator in this situation is. But how would the narrator know? Well, we don't know who the narrator is. It could be just uh, omniscient, old school narrator. Yeah, it's whoever's writing the file or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think that if that was a throwaway line, it was better left. Yes, on the cutting room floor. It was better left thrown away. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely agree with you there. Um, but let's get into it. So uh, we do get we do get to follow up on um, on where things left off. Basically, Saturnine didn't care about getting stabbed. It, it basically didn't even happen. Um, that's how powerful she is. And like I said last week, they go right back to trying to eat. Um, yeah, yeah. Which and was of course, funny. That goes badly for Doug, who tries to snack on some of Wolverine's food <laughs> and gets poisoned. Dog has a bad time, dude. Yo, I, honestly, I think that's a good message. It's like you don't just eat food off another man's plate. It's exactly. shitty. Exactly. That yo, I will say though, that's probably the bravest thing I've ever seen Doug do. You're going to try to eat off Wolverine's plate? That's the thing he's like, done so far. That's bold. It's bold. <laughs> uh, yeah, so what did you guys think about this as a follow-up to what we saw last issue? Uh, I was similarly frustrated by the handling of the intro. The fact that like Saturnite did that as a display of power I think is actually kind of cool. Because I know we, you know, Phil especially has talked about how um, it feels like they've kind of... Defanged her a little. Yeah, and I think this this refanged her a little bit for yeah, me. for sure. Of, like, she did that in a way that no one else even saw it. You know, like, Storm asks him, like, what was that about, basically? Um, so that, that, I think, was cool. And, and I dug that. <clears throat> but I think having the page of exposition felt like a lot. You know, and and felt like if that's all we were gonna do, like it could have been done in a snappier way. I think, um, rather than waste, you know, two what two or three pages on it. Um, so that that aside, though, uh, this issue I think served me more of what I liked about the last one. You know, where like it is about character interactions, and it is about kind of setting. Setting the stage here in a way that, like, makes it feel, like, a little bit more grounded. You know, that it's not just, like, a bunch of randoms um, trading blows. So I I appreciated that about it. And I think it it helped add some depth to some of the Iraqi characters. Like, um, what's this? Red Vine or whatever. I don't know what the hell they're called. 
red vine. Twi- you mean Twizzler? Yeah, I think yeah, Twizzler. Yeah, yeah, Twizzlers. Um, like this is a character I don't even think we've heard speak before, and like what they have to say about about the X Men and you know Red Root. That's what it is. Um, I, that like I think those 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 beats are meaningful. You know, and I think they help add some some depth and some nuance to the conflict and to like why you know these groups are diametrically opposed aside from the fact that they are competing in this you know contest or whatever they're like twisted mirror versions of each other right yeah. like the Iraqis are you know essentially a extreme example of like what is what the downfall of of the mutants that we know looks yeah. like, right? The cameo of Saddam Hussein was wild, Pete. What? <laughs> he keeps talking about the Iraqis. Yeah, oh. I was waiting for that. Uh, <laughs> I zoned out. I quit listening. And when Phil said that, I was like, "What the fuck? What did I miss?" <laughs> um. Yeah, no, I agree with everything you said, Pete. I actually did not tune out. I, I heard every word. Uh, <laughs> appreciate yeah, you he listening. He talks so much. Like, what do you want me to do? Ouch. I gotta, we got to fill a podcast, man. That's what we're here to do. Do we have to fill it this much? Should, it's overflowing. That's what I'm here for. I'm the fill of this podcast. All right. Wow. Um, I, I think the, the best thing I can say about this issue is that the character work is is fairly strong for the for the people who need it. I think it did yep. a lot for Saturnine, mm-hmm. like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, it, now she feels like she matters, especially throughout the course of these three issues. She definitely is showing her ass uh, in up? terms of like, uh, in terms of putting her powers on display, which I liked. Um, I also really like White Sword. Mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm really feeling him. He's, he's cool. I, I, I like him a lot. Um, Iska the Unbeaten. I mean, all these characters really get served well here, I think. Yeah. And that's probably... Like, I, I came here ready to say that I really miss a lot of the other characters. I miss Magneto. I miss Professor Xavier. I miss Jean Grey, obviously. <laughs> um, Kitty. Yeah, like this event limiting the scope of, 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 all, these, of all the characters kind of sucks. Like, I want to see them. The... The only counter to that in my mind is, well, we're getting to spend time with characters who, you know, we don't always get to spend time with. And then characters we might not ever see again. All the Iraqis, um, you know, I, I guess that is a positive. That, that is a positive. Um, this this issue really cemented my love for Iska. I thought it was really funny that they went back to, like, the parlor trick of just challenging her to these stupid, inane well, fucking things to see if she can that, win. Like, that felt like, so charming. That felt like such a redundancy. Like, we already saw that. Like, let's use... Comics are so short as it is. Why are we gonna re replay things that already happened literally an issue ago? Yeah. I think that's, that's a fair. very fair point. Um, like we, look, we've established this. I'm unhappy with this event. Yeah, I'm, I I'm unhappy I'm... with how many issues. Like Stasis was like four issues ago, and we're still here. Like we're yeah. still yeah. in dinner. the dinner. That's crazy. It, it was fine for one issue. I made that clear last yep. time. I said it was fine. Yep. The fact that we are doing it again. If anything, we should have transitioned out of the dinner. It's fine that we start with the dinner. That's fine. That's 
we're leaving. We're picking up where we left off. We got to wind up somewhere else, and we just don't. Yeah. So, um, get like, to Excalibur. <laughs> all the moments are <laughs> oh, wait. All the moments are cool, but we we can do without them. Like at some point, as a writer, you have to think about: okay, am I just flexing? Am I just kind of you know? How much of this is masturbatory? And how much of this is, like, what's needed? But also, they had this extension, too, right? Like, we talked about that last week, I would imagine. Uh, you know, how much of this is filling space? Right. Like, X of, uh, Ten of Swords is an extended... It's extended from whatever it was originally intended to be... I have yet to see a single reason why this needed to be longer than it was originally slated. I think it was like 15 but, issues. Yeah. We're, we're going to get into it, but man, even the execution of everything that comes after this kind of feels sloppy. I Yeah, I and I was going to say that. Sean said he's unhappy with uh, this event, and I, I got to say, after this week's overall reading, I also am there. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, I think that's I fair. Honestly, to say. don't have a lot more to say about this issue. I yeah. think that this issue was fine. Uh, we talked about the character work. I think that um, this issue doesn't need to exist. No, like you could you could have cut out every single thing that happens in this issue, other than the immediate aftermath of Wolverine stabbing Saturnine. Um, because even the poison angle doesn't go anywhere. No. Like, okay, he got poisoned, and then no one cares. Um. You cut right to the fighting, and which is what we're going to do. The art's fine. We've we've reviewed the Marauders' art plenty of times. It's nothing. No, nothing here is, is is particularly stand out for me. Um, it's it's it serves its purpose. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, are you guys ready to yeah, move let's on? Do it. Yeah, sure. Right. So let, let's talk about Excalibur fourteen. Uh, this is Teeny Howard and Phil Noto. Um, and, uh, this is where we finally get into the actual fighting. Um, we see our first round, it's Betsy versus Iska the Unbeaten. Uh, they're presented as, like, gladiators. They are in an arena with a bunch of onlookers, and Jamie Braddock is the announcer, you know, uh, head uh, guy. More Sorry. of a joust, joust situation. Joust? And Gladier. Gladier. Yeah, it's like a medieval jousting arena. Yeah. All right. Um, so they fight. And, um, I mean, the fight lasts for two pages, three pages. Not even satisfying. Um, and then Bessie just gets broken. Like, she just breaks into pieces. Yeah, that I thought was super weird because, like, it feels pretty clear that it's not straightforward. You know, like it, it happens and it's immediately strange. Several characters call out the fact that it's strange and they don't know what happened. They don't know if she's dead or alive. You know, um, Saturnite comes in and is like, I'm going to take all the pieces real quick. You know, like it's clearly shady and weird, but it, it like it happens so quick. It feels like, I don't know, I feel like I got whiplash a little bit from mm. it. See, I actually like the quickness of this one in particular. 
I I I think the you know whatever outside stuff Saturnine has going on plays clearly into Iska's favor because she's unbeatable anyway. So for me, that part of it worked. I think it it worked as a showcase of okay, here's here's what fighting Iska the unbeatable is going to be. Is it? Because my thing is, I don't even know that they actually fought. Because, like... I mean, well, yes, because she's unbeatable. And yeah, I guess. Betsy didn't win, so... Because, I don't know, I, just, I thought it was interesting, right? Because, like, she comes and, like, gives her this warning, and then when it actually starts, like, she says, oh, you know, uh, what'd she say? Like, I see that you... Oh, she says you listened. You know, and, like, I guess that could just be that she's not embarrassing herself because she got the first right. hit or whatever. But I don't know. Like, I feel like there's some shenanigans going on here where she's not really dead. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah, that's absolutely evident. And yeah. that's what's happened in both this and the Wolverine issue. There's a lot of shenanigans happening, right? But, like, listen, in, in, in pro wrestling, which is another one-on-one competition sport, when shenanigans happen, it's 99% of the time unsatisfying for the people that are engaging with it. It's the same thing here. The shenanigans aren't satisfying for the reader. It's just, it's, it's, you disengage when something like this happens. I read this and I say, oh, there's a bunch of fuck shit happening. I, I don't give a fuck anymore. Well, especially because it's like it's so breakneck too. Because it's like, okay, that one's over. She's dead. We're gonna sweep her up. Let's move on to the next yeah, thing. They're getting married. And it's like, what too. the fuck? Like, See, what does that have to do with anything? Like, that's such a weird <laughs> pivot. Yeah, the next thing is what takes me out of it completely. Because it's like, what the fuck? What I feel, I feel like I'm being trolled. Yeah. Quite frankly, I mean, you are. I think that's the intent. I think the intent is to feel like yeah. you're being trolled. I think. I think. Creatively, they're trying to troll the reader. They're trolling the X-Men. Again, why? It doesn't matter. It's not satisfying. Yeah, like, I, I, I can't really say I had fun with it. Like, uh, Bay and Cypher getting married was extremely out of the blue. And it to me, it doesn't feel like anyone... Like, anyone's addressing this with any degree of like seriousness now i will say the moment that happened i thought oh sean's gonna like bay no oh. i mean you don't think bay's bay <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, no i don't i don't i don't understand it at all mm-hmm. i also don't appreciate how short saturnine is yet again <laughs> cypher is almost as tall as her in this book um, Cypher. And he's presented as like a 12 year old Yeah <laughs> they're making short. him look like a little kid He little I, um, I, I, I'm, I'm really confused As to what, what Like why would this be the way Yeah listen When you when you market this book As like a tournament story You have expectations Of what a tournament will look like The fact that they're already Kind of just it's like it feels like they rebooked it, and it's just not engaging. Well, and and I, I think again, right? Like I don't even know that that's the problem for me. 
Because, like, it's the fact that the first fight is very much like, okay, they're having a sword fight, and then it's over. And then it's like, the second challenge is a wedding. Everyone gets a point. What? Yeah. And then the next one is, like, a drink. You know, it's like, it's just this random shit that seems to just be happening. And it... I know that they said, like, oh, the sword was a key, and it's not necessarily going to be a sword fight for everything, and blah, blah, blah. But, like... So, I, so it's not so, a sword fight for yeah, anything. so what's the point? But but my thing is, I feel like that's fine. That has been communicated to us on some level. I don't feel like the X-Men are reacting to the fact that it's being this disrupted in this way, in a way that feels genuine. Right, where like it feels like they've been preparing for a fucking sword fight tournament, not you know the I don't know the goofy ass Olympics, whatever the fuck they're doing over here. So like the fact that we have that reaction as readers, where we feel like there's been a bait and switch, but the characters aren't acting that way, yeah. makes it feel like there's a disconnect between you know because I'm with you, Phil, where I feel like the intent of this is to troll us and the characters a little bit, right? Where it's like, oh, we're getting taken for a fucking ride here. Like, this isn't what we signed up for. But they're not really acting that way. So it just feels hollow. It feels weird. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can't disagree with any of that. And also, that has to be paid off. And yes. I feel like they've spent an inordinate amount of time building up to fighting. Like, to death, to chaos, to like, you know, a lot of bad stuff. And they've, they've made this seem like the most important thing ever, and then there's a match. Yeah, and in addition to that, you know, we've complained about the pacing, how there feels like there's so much padding and things that don't really matter. Hell, Marauders number 15, which we just talked about, is a whole nothing issue. So then you finally kick off the action... And the first thing is a squash match that doesn't make sense. And you, you're you doing this. You've set up the stakes in the sense that people will die and they can't come back. So it feels like you've booked yourself in a corner because now you're trying to book these matches in a way that, like, okay, well, it doesn't look like Betsy's really dead. Like, that's narratively dissatisfying, again, because, like, we have established stakes, and when you're already the first match, you're already trying to work around the established stakes. You know what's the point? And, and then, like again, like we have all these other, and we'll get into them when we talk about Wolverine. But we have all these other competitions that we see that are not fights to the death, where the loser isn't dying. Like nothing yeah. that n- none of the stakes that we've agreed upon are actually fulfilled. Yeah, or or like. And not even close to fulfilled, right? Like, it's not even like a, you lost, and now you're in the loser's cage, and all of you are going to die. Like, it just feels like it's just happening. And, like, it it feels like they're happening concurrently on some level, too. Like, it it feels like the first one had all this pomp and circumstance, and everyone was there. And then it feels like we're just rushing through (sighs) beats of these other events now. You guys ever watch Whose Line Is It Anyway? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I feel like this is whose sword is it anyway or something. Like, <laughs> it's like this is the, – the fights don't matter. Yeah. The, the circumstances don't matter. The stakes don't and matter. The, nothing matters. Neither does a story. No. Like, I wonder – Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. You're good. Uh, well, to, to bounce off what Phil just said, the story doesn't matter. Do you guys remember in Hellions when we were talking about how what does this have to do with absolutely anything? Yeah. 
we're about to get another Hellions issue. I'm wondering if what I said back when we read Hellions uh, originally is going to happen. I said something to the effect of, like, this feels like an event where it it takes you all over the map and it shows you different facets of the story and then at one point it's a big fantasy epic and everybody's going to come back together for something. So what I wonder is like so next week we're going to get X-Force and then Hellions as well as Cable. So I wonder if we're going to get one more issue of this tournament bullshit and then we're going to find out what the garbage that Sinister and his shitty team are doing. And if they're successful, because weren't they trying to steal the swords or whatever? Yeah. But what difference does that make now? They're already through the portal. They well, don't need them anymore. But what, what I'm thinking is maybe the Hellions are going to make a move to straighten all this out and show the inner workings of it. Like, this is all the climactic nonsense of what we were here for, whereas the the last quarter of this is going to be what we're actually here for. Yeah, like the story beneath the story. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the I mean, thing is I'm just I trying think to no make sense of it. I don't like yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to give myself something to push through the next two weeks. Like. <laughs> yeah, because I'm at the point where like this is definitely disappointing and I have been giving it rope and giving it rope and giving it rope. And then like for this to be what it led to is definitely frustrating. And I'm at the point now where I'm kind of just ready for it to be over and we yeah. can get back to the stuff that I'm interested in. Yeah, from from the word go, before we even saw one page from Ten of Swords, I said, I don't, like, I'm not interested in this premise. And that's when I thought it was going to be, like, actual fighting and a real yeah. tournament and stuff. And we didn't even get yep. that. And I think Kale's probably ultimately right. There will be some kind of swerve, and there will be probably a big fight, or maybe they'll all team up against Saturnine, and then the Iraqi will be like, okay, you guys are worthy, you survived. Uh. And they'll merge the they'll they'll redo Pangea and all will be well. Um, that's likely, I think. But that doesn't make the journey worth yep. it. I, I don't I don't think that these issues are serving even the the issues that came before, like you made us think this was gonna be like something serious. And it's it's I don't know, it's not. Um But but let's so okay, there were there were a few things that did happen in this issue that I thought were worth pointing out. I thought it was funny that um, Saturnine said that uh, that uh, Cipher better be able to speak all languages, like the language of love. That's what yeah. I got out of that. I thought that was clever. Um, they built up Bay the Blood Moon to be so cool. They even gave her the Doom Note, which they used that phrase uh, what seven times. Something um, like that, yeah. That's my powers. <laughs> no, yours are the brown note. Nice. Um, that wasn't good. No, don't, that don't was solid. For that. You got your ass. Just accept the torching <laughs> and move on. Which it was kind of 
like a letdown that they they dedicated that whole page to how cool her powers are, and then she just didn't use them. She's apparently Black Bolt esque. Yeah. Um, so that that was kind of interesting. Um, and there, you know there were some some kind of fun funny moments, but it's hard to appreciate them when you're so disappointed by the total package. Yeah, because that's the thing is I think like. The stuff that I thought was funny or charming, like, only served to further undercut the severity of the, how this should feel. Yeah. You know? And, like, that's the thing that, like, bothers me. Like, something I, I legitimately got a chuckle out of is, um, like, when their fight's about to start, uh, there being um, Iska and, and Betsy, like, there's that shot of, of Cable standing next to Apocalypse, and he's just like... Fuck her up, Captain! And, like, I thought that was really funny, but, like, the fact that it just then immediately is, like, like, if that had been preceding this big epic fight, it's like, oh, ha, ha he's, like, you know, that's a thing a kid would say, right? But it, to me, it just feels like a goof on this situation that's supposed to be super fucking serious, you know? And it's like, yo, your friend is about to, like... She's about to fight someone whose power is that she can't lose, and no one seems concerned about the fact that she might lose. And then she loses, and they're like, oh my god, what happened? Bro, it's like, then there's like arm wrestling, and there's like... That's in Wolverine. man, it all bleeds together. Yeah, slow down. Uh, let's quickly address the, the art here. I, I... I don't know. I wasn't... I, got, I, I like Phil Noto. He's cool, but... Um, this issue in particular, I just don't think I really, I, I didn't get a lot out of it. Um, he's generally dry from a paneling perspective, um, and that's represented here. There's not a lot of, you know, craziness going on paneling wise. Uh, he does get to draw a dragon, Shogo, so that's pretty cool. That was um, cool. <laughs> yeah, I like that. But in general, this feels very. Um, uh, it doesn't feel as full of life as a lot of the other X books tend to feel. Uh, that uh, that very vibrant color style with characters that pop. These characters feel very flat on the page, yes. and that is his style. And I just don't know if that fits when he has to draw all the characters. Um, it works better on books like Cable, where I believe he's the regular artist. Um, that can be that. Whereas I think, um, you know, Excalibur generally is more life, full of life. And this is not that. Yeah, definitely not bad by any stretch, but I think flat is the right word for it. Yeah. The the page where uh, Betsy breaks up was cool. Yeah, it yeah. looked good. That, that, was, was, that yeah. was, yeah. I did In like general, that. I really am, like, just such a fan of this design for Betsy, too. So, like, I'm, I'm into, I'm into it. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's talk about Wolverine then. Uh, the art uh, here looks cooler. Well, uh, speaking of that, we've got uh, Benjamin Percy uh, and Jerry Duggan once again teaming up uh, with Joshua Joshua Kassara on art, uh, Guru FX on colors, and uh, Corey Pettit on letters. So, yeah, you wanted to speak about the art. Go ahead. It it, uh, it looks good. The paneling is really creative. Uh there's a lot of interesting designs. Uh, if there was no dialogue whatsoever, and that's not an insult to Ben Percy, who I've come to really admire his his writing. Uh, I I think, you know, at least it would look good. So how about this? Um, 
let's do best panel, worst panel, okay? So I'm going to show you the best panel of the book, all right? Here we go. And I'm going to hide the worst because they're on the same exact page. That's the best panel. It's really cool. It's Pog or Pog Mm -hmm. coming up from the ground, I guess, to attack magic. It looks really sick. I really love it. Now the worst panel is this. What happened to magic's face why is her mouth her mouth so, elongated? so big that was crazy yeah crazy uh otherwise a very good looking book though yeah yeah uh, that was yeah. The, that was the coolest pogger pog has looked so far i think yeah yeah and that i mean i think that that specifically really bummed me out is because I think that, like you said, like that that panel of them like fighting and like you get a little bit more of that. I love that, like her jumping into yeah. the floating kingdom and like you see her perspective shift, and then you just get into this like this scrap with the two of them. And I've been wanting to see this fight. I've been wanting to see Pogger Pog and Magic specifically go toe to toe. Disappointing, huh? Oh, shame. And yeah. yeah, it is just totally anticlimactic turns the whole thing into a joke and like it's not even that funny not a a joke needs a payoff and um certainly didn't have one yeah and it's it's just a bummer frankly and like i you i don't know i feel like you kind of that sums up this whole issue for me is like the art's good and i like it and i like some of these matchups and i'm interested to see them play out they don't play out yeah uh, there's a cool scene where Wolverine is being enveloped by sand, and it looks really detailed. Yeah, And then that's the following great. page is just this reality uh, distorted Crazy. battle between him and Brightspoke. And that pays off for two pages, and the way Wolverine like disintegrates in it, it looks looks great. Like, and the usage of like glass or rocks or you know these other things to like break up the paneling and everything is really yeah, cool. Uh, but man, story. <laughs> yeah, the summoner fought to the death. The summoner died, so he won. <sighs> Which is dumb. What? <laughs> and, okay, yeah, I mean, it's oh, like it's clear she's tipping the scales. Okay, great. Yeah. So what See, are we doing? That one, I was like, all right, this is stupid. But if that was the only, like, if all of the fights were fights... Yeah. But Saturnine tipped the scales. That would be one thing. Yes. If she found ways to make it so that, okay, they actually lost, but they won. Mm-hmm. Or she, she some shenanigan, that's fine. This was probably the best fight in the whole thing. But I can't, I can't underscore enough the, the, like, frustration of, you know, Pog or Pog versus Magic, which seemed like it was going to be so cool for it to just be an arm wrestling contest, is like we're not going to get this back. It's not like, okay, hey, this was all a big troll. You guys want to really have your tournament? Fine, go ahead. There's not going to be another 20 issues of uh, Ten of Swords to resolve these things. So this is what we're getting. I think think back to the Dark Phoenix saga, where you know, uh, it took 30 pages. Well, we had a, a really satisfying conflict between the X-Men and the uh, Imperial Guard of the Shi'ar Empire. 
where like char- that was yeah where characters are introduced of the Shear Empire of the Imperial Guard that we didn't really know beyond Gladiator, and they establish stakes and there's a satisfying conflict. Characters get to shine. What's who's who's benefiting here? I guess Saturnine, but Araco, yeah. I guess. I think Phil means probably from like a what characters getting over. Well, who's benefiting? Like uh, what characters are, yeah. are are coming out looking better? Right, and and the answer is just definitely just Saturnine. Saturnine. And I guess that's the point, um, but that isn't again very satisfying to read. Yeah, like again, if this if this was like a random arc of X Men, like yes. And, and and this was just what it was for that arc for five issues. That'd be different. Fine. You have roped me in to buying sixteen of twenty-two issues. Oh, this is three- And Saturday is playing this games. This is three quarters of the way through. Are you serious? This is the kind of thing yeah. that would happen in issue eleven or something. Issue ten. Yeah. And and again, it's just like there's just such lapses, like leaps in logic, even you know, like that just are so hard to get behind. Because it's like uh, then the next competition is this three way fight between Solom and War and Wolverine after she somehow gets Wolverine drunk with this magic alcohol that fucks up his healing factor, and like you know him and Storm almost French. Okay, fine, whatever. The X Men are horny, but then like you get into this fight. And Wolverine wins, but Solom gets the point, even though Solom is not involved in the fight at all. That's a good point. The four horsemen of the apocalypse feel very uh, undermined here now. They don't seem as much of a threat as they did coming in. Um, well, the, the, I mean, the, the stage them- trivializes them. One of them tried to poison Wolverine. Like, I they've been plenty <laughs> undermined. Like, all right, that's fair. That's fair. But I do think this makes it even worse, though, because it's like <laughs> this is the, this fight, right? This is the first time we've seen one of them actually fight, and mm. she gets punked. Like in this scenario, right? Solom is like, ah, I don't care about you. I'm not going to give you the time of the day. Like, fuck your, you know, your husband. I don't care that I killed him. Cool. Then she gets a few good hits in on Wolverine and then Wolverine cuts off her hand. Like, again, where is Solom in this whole fight? He's not involved at all. Why does he get the point? Like, because it was his fight. Yeah, it was, it was. He made a, he, the deal he made with Wolverine was that uh, Wolverine would have to take his place. All right. Yeah, you're right. I got you. But at the same time, he's – why would he and War have a fight with each other in this? Well, Wolverine and Storm had – they were facing yeah. each other by drinking. S- something. Yeah. yeah. Which again, guess, like what? Yeah. I guess that's just being done to showcase that Saturnine can do whatever she wants and the rules are – you know, like, like they don't matter. Yeah. Well, and then Death is making a deal with uh, Gentleman Jack or whatever for a, uh, a scarab of whatever the fuck. You know you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Um, yeah. 
I'm I'm actually astounded. Like that sounded like a limerick. <laughs> you know, I also I also have to say, and Geth made a deal with the gentleman Jack for the scarab, and he died. It's more of a chanty than a limerick, but I'm okay with it. I don't know what I don't know what limerick a limerick is. A three line poem. <laughs> Those three lines, <laughs> if they're really long. Uh, the other thing. The other thing I didn't really dig about this issue was, you know, I've, I commented, uh, I want to say in the Marauders 14 review about how I, I really like Benjamin Percy's writing on Wolverine. I feel like he really gets the voice of the character. There are a few lines of dialogue from, from Wolverine in this issue where I'm just like, yeah, I can't really hear him saying that. Jerry Duggan. Maybe. Uh, so do you have a, an yeah, example, maybe? Sure. Um, like, and I get it. He's supposed to be, like, shit-faced. Right, but there's this. It's the page right before the solemn vow, uh, insert, and he's like, "If I'm still, then that means my healing factor is shit the bed." And it's like, I don't know, dude. Like, I just, I don't feel like that's the thing I hear him saying out loud. You know, like, and and then later on, yeah, you know what? He's also looking out to the reader. I wonder if Jerry Duggan is channeling Deadpool. Ugh. That's what that I was actually going to say that that feels like more of a Deadpool thing to me for some reason. And now that you say that, you know, um, whereas like there's a use of a similar kind of dialogue later that I think feels more appropriate when he's like, would somebody pull this fucking sword out of my neck like that? I could buy, you know, but like the him being like, I sure am shit faced. Guess my healing factor won't work. Whoa. Like, yeah, I just that doesn't it, exposition. It it feels weird to me, you know? Yeah, I think the implication was that he got slipped something in his drink and it yeah. shut his healing factor off. And he's Somebody just um, really fucking trashed, which is like fine, I guess, but. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I would love for someone to write in and, and, and just like tell us your love in this. Um, maybe we're taking it too seriously. I, I can definitely, you know, X-Men fans, a lot of them are very down for the play aspect of the X-Men, and I am. My issue is that I feel like this was promised to be something that it's ultimately not. Yeah. And maybe if it was just a straight-up tournament, that wouldn't have been satisfying either. But I think it would have been more satisfying than this. You've got a great stable of artists, really interesting characters. And on, on its face, the idea of these characters fighting for the fate of their two worlds is compelling. That's that's very interesting. Um, and I don't really see how I would get bored of that, especially when, ha- like, how many of the fights have already played out? And now, Granted, they're not all fights. If these were really going to be fights, they would need more time. They would need yeah. more issues. <laughs> but, like... Imagine that. Getting more issues and not them. using them. We had we had them. We, had we got them. seven right. more. That could have been the fights. Stasis should have just it should have been stasis, one issue of eating, and then fighting until until it's over. I and, agree. And and I stand by my point that I don't think we needed all the issues of collecting the swords. I feel like in, especially now where we're at here, that was a complete waste of time. Yeah, because the swords don't matter. Like they're, 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 you know, like yeah. they don't, they're not doing anything with them. So who fucking cares? A, Why did I need to watch I had a that? Sneaking suspicion that would be the case. Like I was like, I was dreading it. I was like, I have a feeling all this time that they're establishing all these swords is not going to pay off in any way. But I was like, ah, Tickman, I feel like it's got to have to. 
Yeah, like yeah. I gave him the benefit of the doubt, and I definitely feel like burned by that. Um, you know, and it's not the end. Listen, fun. All I right. love fun comics. Like at the beginning of the episode. During our pals polls, I referenced Excalibur from 1988, a very fun X-Men comic. <laughs> Who's this fun for? That's that's the thing is like, you know, Sean, you called that out. And I don't think it's a matter of us taking it too seriously. I really don't. Because I think like, for starters, the Dawn of X books are very serious. And they've been presented seriously and they've taken themselves seriously. So us expecting something to be serious like is not out of line with what we've been presented. So even put that aside, right? From the beginning, from the jump. I know Kale and I were vocally like, yeah, this seems like a dumb idea, but it could be fun. Like I'm into this idea on its face. And you know, I I've been willing to go on the ride. I've been willing to watch all of this setup and all of this this, you know, let's run fucking errands before the fight. Like all that stuff that is not interesting, is not important. It might as well have just been, you know, tie-ins or not exist. You know, and I think we can all agree with that. But at the end of the day, I was confident that that was going to lead somewhere satisfying. And even if it was just a big, dumb popcorn comic of, man, how cool was that six or eight pages of magic just beating the shit out of Pog? Like, that would have been worth something. You know, it wouldn't have been... Uh, revelatory. It wouldn't have been as meaningful or impactful as like House and Powers were, but like not everything needs to be. If if they wanted to do a big dumb fun X Men smash action figures together comic, I could have gotten down with that. But it's not even that. It's the worst parts of both of what it could have been. To to something that like to Phil's point, who is this satisfying for? Who who does this serve? If you're a fan of any of these X characters, they're doing nothing and achieving nothing. So there's nothing fun to talk about. If it's if it's for these new characters, we don't really even know them. And now that we do, they're probably like if any of them carry over for the future, they have the stink of this event on them. And if they don't, then they were just useless throwaway mooks anyway, who we got backstory on for them to not be involved in anything interesting or rewarding. Fundamentally, in writing, like, a big thing is who's your audience. Like, that's, like, 101 stuff, right? And I don't know who this is for. This is certainly not for the Dawn of X audience, because nothing about this is really reminiscent of anything at Dawn of X. It doesn't feel like it's for the traditional X-Men fan. Like, it doesn't feel really recognizable in that sense. I, I don't know who this is for. And that's really all I have to say about it. While you guys have been talking, I've been looking on Twitter just to kind of take the temperature of uh, readers to see kind of what they're feeling. And um, a lot of it has been negative. Um, a lot of it has been, you know, what happened? Like, Someone someone said um, issue 15 is not the issue to swerve. Um, and mm. I completely agree. Here's one tweet from Comic Storian, uh, who you guys might know from his Twitter videos or uh, YouTube yeah. videos. He said, I am loving the Ten of Swords far more than I thought I would. While I've been enjoying the, this X-Men in my catch-up, uh, it all kind of felt disconnected. Ten of Swords is way too long, pretentious at times, and dives into the lore lore like a kid on wiki. But it's just so much fun. 
So there's someone who's enjoying it. Um, it, I'm not going to say it's split down the middle. It really feels uh, primarily negative, but there is there is that perspective as well. It's just funny because, like, I wish I felt that way. Like, what they're describing is what I wanted to get out of this event and what I expected to get out of this event. I didn't expect it to be revelatory. I didn't expect it to be uh, as good as what we've even been getting because, I don't know, this is not uh, an opinion I've hit on the show. I don't think events are that good. I think events more often than not serve to do exactly what this event is doing, which is interrupting the rhythm and the status quo that we've been working to establish and that, like, a lot of readers are are enjoying and are in the rhythm of to do something that is big and dumb and loud. And it's not even good at that. It's not satisfying in the way that like, you know, um, like death metal has been for me largely, you know? Oh, okay. Um, well, there's your problem. <laughs> well, I'm just, I said largely. Um, but that's the thing is like, I, it's, it's not, it's not even good at that. You know, like that book knows what it's, what it is and it's content to give you that and if this wanted to be you know a dragon ball z tournament arc that would have been great i could have i could have gotten behind that you know like i was ready for the intergalactic sword fight and the fact that one of the the most interesting matchups that they've been teasing since the beginning ended in a fucking arm wrestling contest it's like okay I don't know, man. Like you mentioned, you know, this is what events are. I don't, I don't think that. Like this didn't even have to be like this. Nah. This, this, this could have been. Yeah, is it a de- is it a deviation to an extent? Because the over, like, put it Saturday aside. The 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 Araco Krakoa stuff is is there. That's been there since. That's true. House and Powers that that had to be resolved. It's the way we're being told the story that's the problem, and it doesn't have to be this way. There's a very straight line from House and Powers to now that makes perfect sense if you don't have an arm wrestling contest resolving the issue. <laughs> I'm also frustrated by the fact that even though even though it, the, the Iraqi are winning, they themselves... They're all about survival of the fittest, right? They're all about, um, you know, fighting and earning what you get. So why are they comfortable with cheating? Why do they have no problem with what Saturnine is doing? I get that it's important for them to win, but it, but from the way they are, wouldn't it be more important for them to win well, right? Like to, to for it to be hard fought. Why? Why is? Why are they not all turning on her? I think it makes it even more egregious because you you use the word hard fought. My impression of them is that they don't think it would be hard fought. That they've got it on fucking lock. That they're stronger. That's that they are the, the fittest. Problem. And it like, does, it, why the fuck do they need to cheat? Can't right? even tell how, what they're feeling about it. <laughs> and everything that's happened, how characters are reacting, feels so disconnected. They're not reacting to what's yeah. happening to them. It's happening too quick. Yeah. Ah. I mean, we got through. How many points do they have by the end? It's like five to five three, to, I think. Five to two, five to five to two, five to two, five to two. Okay, so that's seven points doled out so far. 
So that's seven encounters. We've seen seven encounters across two issues, right? Or was it technically only six because the wedding they both got one point for that? Okay, six encounters between two issues. Yeah, that's that's fast. It's I whiplash, feel. dude. I don't know. I I wish I wasn't here um, saying these things. I really came into this hoping it would be good, even though I did not feel like this was the way to go um, in terms of resolving the the Krakoa Oracle stuff with a tournament. Um, But this has gone far and beyond what I thought, like in my worst nightmare of what Ten of Swords would be. There's There's a lot of great creators involved in this. And I'm just not sure how this is the story that they arrived yeah. at. I think it's so disappointing, too, because I think the pieces are there. Sure. You know, like, I I, I, I like the, the characters from Araco. you know, yep. like, from what we've seen of them. I think they're cool. Like, they're, they're dynamic, interesting antagonists, and nothing is happening with them. And the X-Men that we were, that we chose to highlight here, I think are a good mix of characters who we like and we see a lot of. Um, like Wolverine, who has his own book, or like Storm, a character who we've been arguing has been like on the sidelines and needed a bump. And it's like, I feel like it's so close to giving you something good, and then it's it's just circling the drain. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I still stand by there are six more chapters still. Yeah. You know, you're right. To... To what Sean said, like, these are some of the top guys at Marvel. There's no way this is – this, what, what we've read, is the story they were looking sure. to tell. I, All right, Kale, you know? so let me ask you this. Six chapters left. Let's say it turns around, right, and it, and it becomes epic and, and cool. Does that resolve your feelings about everything that's come before now? I mean – not necessarily no but i mean if the end point and you know the last quarter they pick it up like you know i'll suffer through it um like i i didn't think it was i personally didn't think it was bad like this is the this is the first point where i i I have where i personally have said okay i'm not having fun you're losing me i i enjoyed them collecting the swords. I even tolerated the dinner. But this week is the first week where I've been like, okay, I'm I'm checking out. Been right there with I, you. I think um, if we if we don't see something change with Hellions or you know, uh, for me the 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 goal point is Hellions on, then yeah, I will. I'm, I think I, if they can land the plane. Then this is fine. It's been it was one week, three issues out of you know what twenty two or whatever that were bad for for me. Yeah, then that they clearly had something they were trying to. But do. my my caveat to that is I don't know how you write course when this is this took a left turn, a real steep one. I this is hard to turn around from. I think last week when things seemed uneventful. You, that's that's stalling. You can move forward from a stall. You turn left like this. It's hard to right the ship when it was a ninety degree angle. 
Yeah, because last week we had nine issues ahead of us, and it's like, well, all the fights haven't happened yet. This is the meat. We've been getting to the meat, and now we're at the meat. And well, what if this isn't the meat? Because <laughs> then we have six Fair. issues left. Like, what are we doing? And I think the ultimate takeaway there, right, is to circle back to Sean's question. It won't retroactively make all of that not have problems. I think that there's a way that it can justify some of its length and and make us feel like, oh, we spent time doing these things or seeing these things because there was a payoff. And that could still happen. But I also think that it won't necessarily renege any of the um, criticisms that we've lobbed at it for being long in the tooth. Right, that like there are things that took two issues that could have been one. Right, we didn't need two dinner issues. We didn't need two expository back, three expository background issues. We probably didn't need a two-parter of Wolverine getting his sword. Right, like I think it's clear that there's time that has been misused here, no matter how well it ends, even if if it does end well. Um, but I think that to Kale's, you know, the point that he kind of was dancing around is that if it does end and it's good. I'll be I'll be a little bit more willing to forgive the things about it that I feel like were flawed, you know, because you could probably chalk some of that up to being like, okay, yeah, maybe all the collecting issues should have been tie-ins rather than marked as chapters. But if that's the worst thing you can say about it, that's not that big a deal. It is a way bigger deal if it's like I invested 20, what, 21 issues of time into reading this for it to go nowhere and do nothing and say nothing. And that's what I'm more afraid of. Um. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna leave my thoughts off with this. Uh, this week, uh, yesterday actually, Marvel released through Twitter and you know other platforms a mini trailer for X Men number eighteen, which will drop February. And it's a teaser. It shows you the vault entrance where X twenty three and uh, her little squad went. Way oh, back. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Um, and it has Krakoan language being dis- uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Deciphered. Uh, translated? Yeah, translated. It's been a long time since they entered the vault. A really long time. Or a long time. Then that's it. I'm more excited for that yeah. than however Ten of Swords is going to resolve at this point. Yeah. That I agree with. That yeah, I'd rather go back to the actual, uh, you know, Throne of X stuff at this point. Mm-hmm. That said, I won't hate it if there is some kind of uh, the islands come together or whatever, and like we get some of these characters who we spent this time building up coming to the uh, the main group. You know, like I, I do sure like Iska, so. Maybe there'll still be some good to come from this, even if the ending isn't completely satisfying. Can't wait for those island trees to smooch. Planting seeds, huh, Cal? Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, see, I like that one. That was good. <sighs> All right. That's going to do it for our reviews. I want to hear what you guys think. If you're reading Ten of Swords, you know, are we off base here? Are you feeling how we're feeling? Or are you into it? You know, I could see an argument that, hey, these issues are just um, – it's really just two issues of wackiness and, um, you know, if that's all it is and otherwise you've been enjoying it, 
then that's really not that big of a deal for an event where you're getting, you know, at this point, three issues a week until the end. Um, I'm open to hearing that. So write in, hit us up, comicspals at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts. Um, hit us up on YouTube. You can leave us a comment. Uh, we've got a lot of content up there. We've got tons of interviews with top-level creators uh, that you guys are definitely going to want to check out. Um, some of your favorites, favorites, I'm sure we've spoken to at some point or another. Join our Discord server. We always have a great conversation over there. Um, we would love to have you guys a part of our Discord family. We're always having, um, you know, a fun time. We watch movies. I think we watched, uh, Howard the Duck and there's a Dragon Ball Z movie, uh, watch along that's gonna happen. I don't know if that's a selling point. <laughs> Dragon but, Ball. Uh, yeah, it's Dragon happening. Ball Evolution. Yeah. Dragon it's Ball not Evolution. One of the, it's yeah. not one of the good ones. It's Dragon Ball Evolution. <laughs> Can we yeah. just watch Brody instead? No. Broly. That's, that movie's so also, sick. Brody. That movie's sick. Um, so, yeah, come hang out with us on Discord and uh, listen to the show. <laughs> we thank you for doing so. Uh, let's get into the plugs. Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here in another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come chat with me about what you're reading, what you're watching, what you're playing. Uh, if you got yourself one of them shiny new consoles, uh, let me know uh, how, you've been, how you've been making out over there. Uh, if you want to get some more content from me, you can, of course, check out uh, the podcast I host over on loopots.com, uh, the podcast where we talk about Nintendo every week. Uh, but this week we didn't because there's no Nintendo news. So if you want to hear some thoughts about uh, how I'm feeling about my first couple hours with the PlayStation 5 or the Xbox Series X, that's a great way to do it. Awesome. Kale? I can't believe people are making out and they're not playing their new video game consoles. What losers. Fucking nerds. You can find me on Instagram at Toto Into, or uh, that's T O T O I N T O W, or come uh, chill with us in the Discord. We've been having a lot of fun over there. It's whatever. Wow. Uh, re endorsement. Killword.com. C A L E W A D dot com. Phil. You know, if, uh, if Marco is ever able to figure out how to move with his new metal skeleton, I'm sure he'd love to talk to you at. Uh, Mr. Marco Animoto on Twitter and Instagram. Check that out. Uh, as for me, I've made my decision uh, what absolute edition to buy. We've got more. Ooh, what is it? More Let's feedback it. in the Discord. Yeah. Tyler brought up Brian Azarello, Wonder Woman. Thank you, everyone, for trying to get in on this, but several people suggested it, so I've made it so, as Captain Picard would say, looping back that Star Trek doc. I am getting the absolute edition of the fourth world. Nice. Oh, nice. And as soon as it comes to the mail, I got uh, through in-stock trades. Uh, it was cheaper there than anywhere, anywhere else, so that was why I did it. I will post the pictures on our Discord and on social. Cool. Awesome. Love to hear it. As for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram only, at Sean Soapbox. I just finished my reread of House and Powers, and um, I really loved it. Once again, it's so tremendous. <sighs> that must be jarring, um, man. <laughs> yeah, it is for a lot of reasons. Um, I want to do some content around it at some point, uh, so be on the lookout for that. And otherwise, 
yeah, if you're having more fun than me playing video games because you got a PS5 or an Xbox or whatever, stay out of my mentions. <laughs> um, <laughs> with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Geiger. I would like to see the baby.